Do you know what a Smurf account is, Rich? They were like, these are just our Smurf accounts. This isn't even our real. And they were like level 99 with like everything. And I'm like, what's a Smurf account? It's like, oh, when you max out one account, you make a Smurf account and do it again. And I'm like, how many Smurfs do you guys have? And the other mm-hmm. one guy's like, oh, I got five. I got, you should have been 10. like, well, this is my fucking Gargamel <laughs> account. What do you think about that? <laughs> You are now listening to the Press Playcast. The Playcast is the place where the single banana and I, Ghost 81 discuss music, movies, gaming, and culture, as well as the monthly community playthrough games selected by us and shared by a community of gamers on rfgeneration.com and social media platforms like Twitter and Discord. This month, we're taking it back to the OG Game Boy for an odd title featuring Odd Job and Jaws and the man himself, Bond, James Bond. Is this game worth the price of a martini or is it worse than a bad hand in Baccarat? Stay tuned to find out. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts and Podbean or just visit rfgplaycast.com. On Twitter, I'm at RFGPlayCast, and Rich is at the single banana. Most importantly, be sure to log on to RFGeneration.com to discuss the games with us and have a chance to get mentioned on the show. Thank you as always for listening, and now, on with the PlayCast. Oh 
Well, Rich, God damn it, we haven't talked since <laughs> November, dude. I know. How you been, man? I'm, I'm you have a Merry Christmas. Yeah, Happy Merry New Year. Christmas. Happy Valentine's uh, Day. Happy Halloween. <laughs> we talked a little bit about Halloween the last time, but yeah, we missed Christmas, yeah. Thanksgiving, New Year's. Oh my goodness, a lot has gone on. Uh, yes, including a faulty laptop that I had to send back to Dale to uh, get them to fix. So uh, that's been a big part of the reason of the holdup here. Yeah, that's amazing. We planned to take a couple months off, and then we had these games that we played, and I told you a couple of weeks ago, I was like, dude, we're back in the same position we were in when we decided to take this break, <laughs> and now it's a extended hiatus. Yeah. I can't believe that a laptop repair took so long. Did they give you any information on like why it took that long? It didn't take that long, actually. It only took a short period of time, but I was trying to fix it myself and, you know, try other things before I sent it in. When I was at uh, Retro World Expo, Bill and I put a new battery in it. We thought that was the problem. Uh, the new battery wasn't charging, so um, I ordered a new input port for the charger, and I replaced that. And then that didn't work. I ordered a new cord to see if maybe it was just the cord. No dice. And so from there, I had to make sure I had everything backed up. So I um, had to do some finagling with that as well. And, uh, you know, it just stretched out and stretched out until, uh, you know, I got it back. But I sent it and got it all back within a week. So that's pretty good. But... I lost everything that was on there, including our last episode that we recorded. But thankfully, you and I have been doing a really good job of saving our files, uploading them to the cloud, and I was able to retrieve those. It's just taking a while to piece back what I already had done, and uh, that's a little frustrating. It's hard to go back once you start editing something and you get so far into it. And then uh, you just have to totally reset and do it again. So um, the length of time that it's taking the next episode to come out is more based on frustration than anything, you know? Well, I appreciate you clarifying that because around this neck of the woods, you cannot talk about Dell. That's an Austin (laughs) company started in a dorm room at UT. Yeah, of course. They were started here and got a big presence here. So hometown brand. Well, I had the laptop for less than a year, so that's not good. But hey, you know, there's always problems with something. You're going to buy something new and have a problem eventually. Everything can't be perfect, but they were quick to fix it. And since then, it's been uh, doing well, so no complaints. Even though my neighbor and all my friends are just, you need to get an Apple, you got to get an Apple, you got to get an iMac. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I hate that crap. Like, don't try to sell me on that. It's not ever going to happen. So yeah, man, um, you and I talked and we're like, what do we do? What do we do from here, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, with all the frustration and everything, I was not able to put any time into Musashi, but I did play Red Dead Redemption and we're going to talk about that a little bit on the show. But what we decided to do is sort of a hard reset. So uh, we're just going to start off with the uh, James Bond 007 for the year. So, yeah, that's where we are right now. Yeah, that's exciting. And it was a little bit of a relief for me, to be honest, because I wasn't enjoying Musashi that much. 
in a sense, I'm still kind of sad on your behalf because you wanted to play that game for years. We finally scheduled it and then we just kind of aborted the whole playthrough. So, well, not the playthrough, but definitely we're not doing an episode on it. So sorry, man. But it it was a relief for me because I was just like, all right, now I don't have to play this Musashi game and we can just move on to the Game Boy James Bond, which we'll talk about in this episode. Yeah, a little bit of a more extended vacation, but uh, it was really nice, but glad to be back for sure. Speaking of resetting things, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about what we're going to be doing with the show going forward. It's funny, I think it was a few years ago, we received a message from our good friend Buried on Mars, Kevin, and he was like, man, you guys talk about music a lot. Don't get me wrong. I like it, but you guys should really think about rebranding your show. You know, we kind of took that to heart when we heard it. The show has turned into much more than just a playthrough because we talk about music quite a lot. The podcast revolves around games and gaming, but, you know, since you and I took it over, a big part of it has been music. And so, We thought that we should maybe try to rebrand the show and go with a new name, and you and I discussed it, and we wanted to keep Playcast in the title, so we thought, what better way to talk about music and video games than to maybe call it the Press Playcast, right? Absolutely. I love this, and it's been a long time coming, and I always tell people when I try to get them to listen to our show who have maybe never heard of us or our podcast, I always say it's a pop culture podcast and that we talk about obscure stuff. I rarely sell it as a video game of the month podcast because the whole first half of the show is a mixture of whatever we want it to be with an emphasis on music and video Mm -hmm. games. So I really think this is a good direction. Yeah, it's always funny because I will have people say, well, I didn't play the game of the month and I don't know a lot about it and I don't want it to be spoiled, but I still listen to the first half of your show because I enjoy the music section. (laughs) So, you know, we get a lot of that and then we get people that skip the music section that aren't interested in it. So uh, we'll still have that clean break between the music and the games and probably still follow the same format as usual. But we just thought that we could maybe extend our audience by uh, a little bit of a rebranding. So uh, that's what we've decided to do. But you can still find us at the uh, same places, still on RF Generation and still at www.rfgplaycast.com for now. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Well, speaking of pop culture items, I'm not sure because it's been so long ago if I mentioned it on the show, but I started a new endeavor. I've been doing some artwork Basically, what I've been doing is taking prints and paintings from local thrift stores and applying pixel art to it, mainly video games. And I've been doing this since October, and uh, it's really been taking off. I'm uh, already selling my stuff in two stores. This upcoming weekend, I'm hosting another outdoor event. I'm going to have my first outdoor display up and going to be selling my artwork And uh, even recently, I set up a website for my artwork, and you can check that out at www.jitterypixels.com. Is it weird that I keep saying www in front of everything, Sean? Does that make me sound old? I was definitely going to... The first time, I was going to let it go, but the second time, you're getting a little boomery on me. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) 
At least I'm not going HTTP colon backslash backslash before it. So jitterypixels.com to check it out. You can uh, view all the artwork I've done. And if you're interested in purchasing anything, you can definitely contact me. But it's been a lot of fun, man. I've been enjoying my time doing it. And I haven't put out any new pieces in a little while, but I'm definitely working on a few for the show this weekend. So uh, you will see those up on uh, my Instagram page and Twitter, which uh, you definitely should follow at jittery underscore pixels. All right. Speaking of uh, non-boomer things, Sean. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So let's talk about TikTok. Or not. (laughs) We could say or not. So I had this idea that I was going to try and convince you to get on TikTok, but it doesn't matter to me if you're on TikTok. I was going to say I don't care, but that sounds flippant and insincere. Like I uh, have been doing a lot of TikTok and I've found it to be a really great outlet for my creative endeavors. Mm Mm-hmm. So instead of trying to persuade you to get on TikTok, I'm just going to tell you what I love about it and try and persuade our listeners to follow me. I probably had a similar experience to a lot of people where I put TikTok on my phone and I hated it because all I saw people doing was lip syncing and doing these really cringy dances and I thought it just wasn't for me. So I deleted it and I didn't have it for a long time. And then one of my coworkers got on it and her account ended up going viral. So I got on to follow her and I started making the algorithm kind of work for me. And I realized that you can have a really good experience on TikTok because there are really deep communities for whatever you're into. So for example, Rich, I follow a lot of vinyl collectors. I follow a lot of pinball collectors. I follow this one lady who's like a soul music historian. I follow a lot of stuff that I think you would really like. But of course, there's a really deep video gaming, retro gaming, video gaming collecting communities on there. It's just great. I really love it. And I am on there playing music. I play guitar, some keyboards, I sing. And I will say like, Gearing myself up to do a TikTok has been motivational for me in the music sense because it makes me practice guitar. It makes me learn keyboard. Like I didn't know how to play keyboard and I I wouldn't say I'm some really good keyboardist now, but I've never played a song on keyboard with chords until TikTok and I learned chords and played songs with chords. So... I really appreciate that it's like brought out that motivation in me. And then like I make jokes and I do stuff about my cats and just about silly stuff as well. But it's just been a really cool experience. And, you know, I get a couple followers every day. The growth on it is so different from any other social media platform. Like you can't grow a Twitter account. It's not easy to grow an Instagram account. Mm -hmm. But with TikTok, so long as you just keep uploading, you'll get followers, especially if you find these communities that do stuff that you like. So my account is at Sean underscore gray underscore. So it's at S H A W N underscore G R A Y underscore. And uh, I would appreciate if anybody listening has TikTok, follow me, I'll follow you back and let's do this. It's really fun. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. I have a 13 year old daughter. So my TikTok experience has been 
her and her friends doing their stupid ass dances around the house and always being on the phone and flashing it around and trying to get me on it. And it's just been completely annoying. So that's the side of TikTok that I've seen. But on the other hand, the side that you're talking about, I also know about because I see Russ Lyman and I see some of the stuff that he does for his TikTok. And, you know, I wonder if it's something that I could use for my artwork. Yeah, I was thinking that you definitely should. I've been leaning toward it a little more in that regard, but I would have to sort of see other examples of what people who are doing artwork are doing and if it would be something that would benefit me or not. So, uh, like I said, the whole experience with TikTok for me has been through my daughter. There's even a few older ladies that I work with that talk about doing their TikToks and stuff. And I'm just like, oh, Really, that's a world that I don't <laughs> even want to see, you know? Well, it's yeah. kind of creepy. That's one thing I would throw out just as a tip is on TikTok, you can hold press and say not interested, and you can also block people. So if I see something I don't like, I make sure to hold press and say not interested or to completely block the person if they're making something that's that like gauche to me. You know what I mean? So yeah. if you do that and then follow the stuff you like, you will have a a good feed that will be giving you stuff that you like. Now, you got to be careful because you can get addicted to it. I've done my time sitting there watching TikTok for hours on end. You got to motivate yourself, like I said, to create content. And TikTok is a really fun video editor. And you can actually learn a lot about like production and making cool videos. The other thing I do is... You may see this, Rich, that I upload a lot of gameplay from Earth Defense Force onto Twitter. Mm -hmm. But what you may not realize is what I'm doing is taking those videos and re-uploading them to TikTok and doing commentary over them. So if you go to my TikTok, you'll see all those videos, but I'll say... Like, this is mission whatever on whatever difficulty. I'm using this loadout. And I'll do, like, play-by-play. A lot of times it's me and my wife playing co-op. Sometimes it's me playing solo. But uh, it's weird. I'm actually one of the only people doing Earth Defense Force stuff on TikTok. So that's a pretty cool niche to be in because it's my favorite series. You know what I mean? Oh, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I see a lot of posts about it. I'm sure when we get into what are you playing we're gonna hear a lot about that so uh, yeah definitely all right so let's uh bypass mistakes our asshole friends pointed out because it's been so long probably the only mistake they could point out is hey guys when is your (laughs) next damn episode coming out yeah
why don't we move on into the concert cast? What do you say? Yeah, I'm excited for this one. It's kind of weird. Let's just get right into it. We had this idea of a one-two punch on an album. Mm-hmm. And this came out of talking about We Will Rock You and We Are the Champions, which are two songs that are inseparable. They're basically like the same song. Absolutely. Anytime you hear them on the radio, they're always played together. Yep, exactly. Another example we had was the Van Halen example. Which mm-hmm. one was that? On their first album, right? Right. It's the guitar interlude uh, eruption that goes into You Really Got Me. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So we said, why don't we do this concept of top five one-two punches on albums? And I want to make clear we were really squishy with this topic, and <laughs> it doesn't have to be the first and second track on an album. It could just be any no. two songs on an album that go really well together. So this led to some challenges for me, Rich. I don't know about you, but, you know, there's a lot of albums that I love that I would say all of the songs on it are good. And it doesn't mm-hmm. like the, you could pick any two that are next to each other. And I think maybe some of my honorable mentions will kind of fall into that. So I was trying to be cognizant of songs that are in the same key or kind of lead into each other or like yes. have this like switching of emotions like a good transition of emotional content or whatever you want to call it tone from one song to another so that made it kind of fun and kind of challenging to come up with a good list here yeah it's kind of odd because for me it was like like with van halen's eruption like that is just like a guitar interlude that goes into an actual song you know something with lyrics and then queens are two sort of separate songs but i felt that doing either one was okay i hear what you're saying and what i tried to do was to make sure the songs ran into each other flawlessly that there was no break not that it was like a one-two punch like one song was played and then another song was played immediately after that now that's the way i went with it you might have gone a different way A little bit. I'm kind of marking my list here. And I can tell you that at least three out of the five of whatever I'm going to say are songs that do bleed into each other in that like kind of technical sense that you're talking about. All right. Yeah, I doubt we're going to have any of the overlap on this list. That's going to be my guess. (laughs) But do you want to start us off? Yeah, let me uh, let me think about this, because now what you just said (laughs) kind of makes me think I didn't go far enough into the thought of songs that transition into each other rather than just two good songs that are next to each other on an album. So that's okay. You can put yours in any way you like, man. There are no gatekeepers here. Your <laughs> one, two punch may be different from my idea of a one, two punch. And that's All right. I'm- well, let's go with this and I'll explain. It's, it's not two songs that blend into each other, but it's a band we've talked about a lot, Fugazi, their album Red Medicine from 1995, which is my favorite Fugazi album. The first two songs on this album are Do You Like Me and Bed for the Scraping. And I would say they're a great one-two punch, a great two-song opener for this album, especially if you've never heard Fugazi, because the first song is this kind of wild love song that turns into a political statement 
that is sung by Guy Pachotto. So Fugazi, for anybody who doesn't know, they have two lead singers, Guy Pachotto and Ian Mackay. They both sing. So you get the first song is Guy. The second song, Bed for the Scraping, you get Ian Mackay singing, and he has a totally different singing style. He sings like this grunty, like he was a former hardcore singer. He was in Minor Threat. So he carries some of that influence into his songs. So if you've never heard Fugazi before, listen to the first two songs on Red Medicine and you get a little bit of a sample of what they sound like overall. And I think that's a great opening one-two punch in that sense of the word. Very nice. Big fan of Fugazi. I'm not sure that I'm familiar with these two songs. Um, I've probably listened to more of uh, Repeater and uh, I can't think of the name of the sort of the red colored album. Uh, 13 songs. 13 songs. Yeah. Okay, yeah, those are the two that I've probably listened to the most. But uh, yeah, man, I'll definitely check that out. Sounds awesome. Cool. For my number five pick, I went with uh, Pink Floyd. Not my favorite album of theirs, but still a great one. Dark Side of the Moon from 1973. I know that most people would say this is their best, and uh, I don't agree, but uh, I do love it. The songs that I pick that I think really blend in very nicely and I love are the songs Us and Them and Any Color You Like. The entire album has these moments and songs that blend into each other and there's not much of a break between a lot of tracks. But for me, these two are the two tracks that kind of stand out among all the others. And uh, I, I did quite a few listens to this album in order to pick the two that I wanted. And uh, some of the other tracks that I've put on my list will be from those types of albums where it just is, is a continuous flow of an album. But uh, like I said, I think as far as an album that is just a complete transition of one song to the next, I don't think you can do any better with Pink Floyd than Dark Side of the Moon. Awesome. Great choice. All right, let me go to my number four here. So I don't know if I've talked about this band before, but it's a band from Brazil that I really love. It's CSS from their 2011 album, La Liberacion. This is a cheat because it's just such a great album front to back. But I love the opening two tracks. Uh, the songs are I Love You and the second song is called Hits Me Like a Rock. And they both have kind of a similar vibe to them. And the first one is just like just being deliriously in love. And then the second song is that love. It hits you like a rock. So they're two different perspectives on a type of love song, I guess. And CSS, they might have been more well-known in the 2010s, like the late Audis or the early 2010s, but I feel like they're a really slept-on band. They're one of the best like indie pop bands that you can dance to that was ever out. And this is my favorite album by them. It's, it's a no-skips, front-to-back, like perfect album, in my opinion. Are you familiar with CSS? I feel like we might have talked about them before. I feel like you've mentioned them before, but no, it's not a band I'm familiar with. Oh, man. Check out this album. I think you and your kids would love it. You can really, you know, bounce off the walls to it, but it's also <laughs> like super catchy and, and bright sounding. Awesome, man. So for my number four pick, this is a band that I've spoken about many times on the show. 
and put them on some of my other top lists. But uh, the band is Maps and Atlases, and the album for me, which I think is their best by far, Beware and Be Grateful from 2013. On this album, the first two songs are just amazing. Um, the first track is Old and Gray, and the second one is Fever. We've talked about the song Old and Gray before, and it's this song about this guy who's in his apartment and he's looking at it and his girlfriend or wife lover has left him and he's just looking around the place and everything reminds him of her and it's about growing old and gray and um, hoping that she finds whoever it is that's going to make her happy as you know she grows into that phase of her life uh, but then there's this song that comes out of that morose called Fever that's just this really kind of poppy, catchy song. And it's hard to imagine a song that's so upbeat and catchy coming out of something like that. But it works so well, and it is a flawless transition from one song to the next. Uh, if you have not checked out this album, Beware and Be Grateful, I highly suggest that you do. And when you do, you're going to start out with two fantastic tracks. It's one of those albums that you can just listen to all the way through. And I think uh, a big part of that is it just starts off with two amazing tracks that flow so well with each other. You talk about this album a lot and this band a lot. <laughs> I haven't spun them in so long. I I do like them a lot. So It's funny. We do this show and <laughs> we talk about albums. Oh, Rich, you need to check this out. You need to check this out. And, you know, I, I will have notes written down in pen, but getting busy with life, I always forget to check things out. So it's good to be constantly reminded of things so that when I'm listening to Spotify and, and you know, I'm pulling stuff up, uh, which I often do, I can pull up some of the stuff that you mentioned on the show. So that is nice. Yeah, this is uh, something that I do when I'm listening to other people's podcasts, like the Collector Cast recently did a music focused episode where they were talking about bands that they discovered in video games, which is one of my favorite topics because I've discovered so much good music in video games over the years, not meaning video game music, but actual bands that put their music into games. You know what I'm talking mm -hmm. about? Yeah. So they dropped so many bands that I had never heard of. So I was like going back and forth to Spotify, putting stuff in my playlists to check out. So it's funny. We talk about video game backlogs a lot. You should see the playlists I have made that have thousands of songs in them. That's like stuff I have to listen to. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, let's go into, we got three left, right? I'm trying to yeah. narrow down my list to, Okay. You do yours on the fly. I like this. I don't usually do this, but I was, uh, I wrote down a bunch. I wrote down like more than a dozen yesterday and I didn't rank them. So I'm going to go to uh, a band called Reviver from their 2010 self titled album. And if you're going to look up this band, it's stylized, it's spelled R V I V R. So it's Reviver spelled R-V-I-V-R. Okay. They're a punk band from, I think, Portland. Uh, they're definitely from the Pacific Northwest and maybe Olympia. Oh, they're from Olympia. There it is. I'm looking at their band camp right now. So <laughs> no correction needed. They're from Olympia. Uh, anyway, their self-titled album starts with these two tracks that are so seamlessly together that for a long time I didn't realize it was two songs, uh, but... The tracks are called Rain Down and Edge of Living. 
And what I love about one of the things I love about this band is they have these kind of inspirational life affirming lyrics and a lot of the themes of their music is that life is tough but we have to fight and we have to prevail so the lyrics of the first song is rain down some change on me flow through me like a stream light fire beneath my feet balance me in between set me free and in the song you know they're kind of a punk band so he's like set me free and even in my car i'm like pumping my fist and screaming the lyrics And then the second song, Edge of Living, has this line that, like, even just thinking about it, like, my eyes are getting a little welled up, where the lyric is, old friend, hold on, if nothing else to this song. And it's like, oh, man, that's such a f***ing good line. So these two songs together, just really, really good stuff. And just an underrated band. And I'm so glad I found out about them. My friend Tyler told me about them years ago. And, uh... Just awesome, awesome band. Nice, man. Very good. Well, I don't think you can have a list of one-two punch songs without some metal songs, because I feel like this is the genre where it really works in the favor of the metal artists to go from one song to the next, or they have these songs with these epic intros. And so my number three pick is from Black Sabbath's album Paranoid from 1970. And that is the slow drag guitar drum intro called Jack the Stripper, which goes into the song Fairies Wear Boots, which is one of my favorite songs by Black Sabbath. Such a good intro. It's not fast, and it just has that really nice, like, Tony Iommi, Black Sabbath sound, and it just goes into the fairies wear boots, and, you know, Ozzy just breaks in and starts singing. Just such a good one-two punch on those two tracks. And, uh, again, I know a lot of people throw Paranoid out there as their favorite Sabbath album. It's not mine. I still think their first album is their best by far, but, you know, this is um, just a killer track. And uh, Sabbath does this quite a lot. So I had to listen to every early Black Sabbath album to pick the track for this and the best one-two punch that I could find. But I couldn't put this list together without doing some Sabbath. Awesome. I... I'm not a huge Sabbath listener. I used to be like when I was a kid, my dad definitely had a few of their albums, but they weren't one of the bands that kind of stuck in the way that Pink Floyd did or Aerosmith did for a long time. I don't listen to them anymore, but for some reason, Sabbath never like kind of stuck with me. I would say go back and listen to that first album. Just put it on. I mean, to me, it's perfect. You know, I'd always like kind of hit the highlights with Sabbath and, you know, listen to their more popular tracks. But going back and listening and imagining what it would have been like to hear that album for the first time and the way it completely changed music and developed a new genre of music, it's pretty captivating. And to listen to the lyrics as well. It's crazy because you, you grow up as a kid and, you know, everybody's, oh, they're, they're satanic. <laughs> and then you, you listen to the lyrics and you find out these guys are just talking about the atrocities of war, which I think we all agree on. But they do it in a dark and sinister way because they grew up in Birmingham, which was bombed out. Yeah. And uh, that's how they see war. They had to live through the aftermath of war and grow up in that environment. So 
it's really beautiful what they do and it you know it really fits but it's not evil you got to go back and listen to that one album at least give it a shot again i think you'll enjoy it got it i can do that <laughs> <laughs> i will not do that <laughs> <laughs> all right uh Let's go for my number two here. So this is going to be the local band from back when I was a kid. They weren't actually super local to me. They were from Pennsylvania. And for those who don't know or don't remember, I grew up in New Jersey. So this band, Weston, played tons of shows in New Jersey and, and in Pennsylvania, of course. But there was a good scene of bands from both PA and New Jersey that would play in that area. So I saw this band Weston. It was actually the first show I ever went to. I saw them, but I was sick as a dog. I, I don't know what was going on with me, but I, I remember just sitting in the back of the hall. It was in like a, you know, a VFW hall or some other place where these local shows were held. And I just remember sitting in the back with my head between my knees, trying not to throw up. Like, I don't know what the hell was going on with me. But that was the first show I ever went to and Weston played. So I got to hear them, but (laughs) I didn't get to see them. Uh, And then another great memory I have of this band is Thanksgiving one year. On Thanksgiving night, they played a show at Skaters World Roller Rink in Wayne, New Jersey. Me and my uncle convinced my parents to let us go to the show and go see Weston. I don't think we skipped Thanksgiving dinner because, you know, Thanksgiving dinner is at like one o'clock in the afternoon or whatever. So I think we ate and ran and went to this show at a roller rink to see Weston. And it was awesome. That's such a great memory. So from their 1996 album, Got Beat Up, which I highly, highly recommend if you like pop punk or indie rock or just tongue in cheek cutesy lyrics. They have a two track thing that they always played live together. So on the record, they blend together. And and when they played them live, it was basically treated as one song. So they had this song called New Shirt. And then the other song is called Heather Lewis. New Shirt is just one of the guys playing and accompanying himself with a guitar. It's not a full band song. And then Heather Lewis, the whole band comes in. So again, it almost gives you this sense that it's like one song, but it is two. And I think that's a great dynamic. And the lyrics are kind of corny and cute, but I love these tracks. And I already did a Weston song on TikTok, but I'm thinking about covering these for TikTok. So if anybody's interested, again, make sure you follow me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. That's great. I just don't understand how you can think of sitting in a corner and almost throwing up about being a great memory, but okay, you do you. (laughs) Just because it was my first show ever. And when we got there, I didn't feel too bad. So I remember seeing some of the opening bands. I don't want to get too long winded here, but one of the other bands was this other like kind of legendary local band called My Favorite Citizen. And when they played, I was like awake and aware and like up watching the band so my whole night wasn't a complete bust but i went there to see weston and i was in the back like crying when they were playing because i was so (laughs) sick so yeah not a great memory but just a night i'll never forget you know yeah understood all right so uh my number two pick uh, i'm gonna slow it down a little bit from the black sabbath the first track 
I didn't really know that it was a real song from, I don't want to say a real band, but I thought it was just sort of an electronic track. And honestly, I didn't even know it was actually on an album. I thought it was just maybe on a Jock Jam CD. And (laughs) (laughs) I know this is going to an odd place for a number two pick, but um, you're familiar with the Chicago Bulls and when Jordan was playing for the Bulls and they would do that intro music that would go ding, 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 ding. I don't know if you if you remember that I'm doing a horrible job there, but I don't know, maybe. You'll have to check it out. And even like if you look up this song on YouTube or Spotify, it'll say Chicago Bulls theme music, which is odd that it took on that persona. And people don't really know that the song was called Serious and it's by the Alan Parsons Project. And it's off their 1982 album called Eye in the Sky. The song Serious actually flows into the track eye in the sky and that is one of my favorite songs of all time are you familiar with that song sean i don't think i am i mean maybe if i heard it i would say i'm sure if you heard it yeah 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 Yeah, you'll have to write that down and and check it out i'm sure you're familiar with it i'm not gonna sing it because i'm not gonna do our listeners that disservice but um yeah i've been getting a little more into some of the more 70s rock music i've sort of made this step from the soul music of the 70s into some of the more lo-fi type rock music but uh yeah number two pick alan parsons project serious and eye in the sky awesome so i think that brings us to our number one it does Besides Queens, We Will Rock You into We Are the Champions, this is the other pair of songs that always makes me think about this concept because even on a Spotify playlist, when I have like a playlist on shuffle and I hear one of these songs and it goes to something else, I feel like incomplete that I didn't hear (laughs) both songs in sequence. And that is Maps and Y Control from... The Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's Fever to Tell from 2001. Mm. And this is what I was talking about, the dichotomy of emotions, because we all know maps. That's an example of what I think is another brilliant lyric in one line, which is, wait, they don't love you like I love you. And Mm -hmm. we all know the music video where Karen O is crying legitimate tears. And then as the song fades out, you get that, guitar lick for Y control and ding, ding, ding. And it's like, yeah, here we go. And then the, you know, the drums kick in and it's like, we're rocking again. And that's a really rocking album in general. So to go from this like sad point in the album back into the rocking stuff, I think it's a good transition emotionally and tonally. I know that they have said that that album like the sequence of songs on the album is supposed to resemble a night on the town and all the emotions you go through, you know, gallivanting and bar hopping and going to shows and stuff on a given night in the city. So that's interesting to set these two songs into that meta concept of the whole album. And it makes me appreciate it even more. So that's my number one pick of two songs. Like I said, it feels wrong to listen to one without the other to me. Very nice, man. Yeah, we're going to have to get a verification on those Karen O emotional tears as to whether they're real or not. 
<laughs> so we'll get our assistant to uh, research that so that we can respond to that next month on our mistakes our asshole friends pointed out. <laughs> I'm pretty convinced. I mean, she said they were sincere, so I have no reason not to believe her. You know Absolutely. I mean? Yeah. If Karen O said so, then uh, yeah, that's good enough for me. Yeah. All right, man. Uh, my number one pick is um, a band that will always have an Austin connection for me. Saw this band on our anniversary a few years ago when I came up for the first time to visit you in the wonderful city of Austin and city of San Antonio. And that is the band Judas Priest. The two songs are the openers of their album, which is my favorite, uh, Screaming for Vengeance from 1982. And those are Hellion and Electric Eye. These aren't two of their most famous songs, but anyone who's a Priest fan definitely knows Hellion and Electric Eye. Hellion is an amazing guitar intro for the song Electric Eye. I would say that this combination of songs are my favorite songs by Judas Priest, hands down. And they have a really incredible catalog. I love all their albums, but uh, yeah, for me, this is the top of the pack right here. And probably why the album Screaming for Vengeance is number one on my list. So uh, yeah, it's definitely a combination of tracks that I would say check out. So good. Awesome. I think we came up with some pretty cool lists there. Yeah. Kelsey's going to be really happy that I picked Priest <laughs> for number one. Yeah, I can tell you Sabbath, that. right? I don't know that he's a big Sabbath fan. But I know he loves some priests. He's got that big priest tattoo on his forearm, which is really awesome. So Okay, good. Yeah. Um, you got honorable mentions? I do. I got a few. Do you want me to go first or do you want to go? Uh, I guess I'll go first since I went first. So London's Burning and Career Opportunities from The Clash, self-titled, <laughs> <Yes>. 1977. <laughs> but that's a cheat. That whole album is fire. So it's, it's yeah, not, yeah. you know, you can pick any two songs off of it. I like on the Fuji's album, the score, how many mics followed by ready or not. Those are two killer tracks on that album. And that album has a lot of skits in it, which is something I'm not like super keen on like nowadays. So those are two songs that don't have skits and they just kind of are just songs that are with each other. Yeah, If you're not Snoop Dogg, don't do skits on your (laughs) albums. Or another group that does skits, Wu-Tang. Uh, oh yeah yeah enter the wu-tang 36 chambers from 1993 you got wu-tang clan ain't nothing to fuck with followed by cream mm, and yeah those are two That's of their biggest one. hits just back to back right in, in the middle of that album grimes her album visions in 2012 two of my favorite songs that are on this album are back to back that's genesis followed by oblivion kanye west i could pick a whole bunch of different ones but I picked All of the Lights followed by Monster from My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy from 2010. You could also do, uh, <laughs> as it's colloquially known, the song about the fellas in Paris followed by Otis from Watch the Throne with Jay-Z. Those are also two bangers back to back. And then the last one I have is just another cheapo one because it's just a super masterpiece of an album, perfect from front to back. And that's Kate Bush, Hounds of Love, 1985, opening track, Running Up That Hill, followed by the title track, Hounds of Love. Man, what a a sweet way to open that album. And it just gets better as as it goes. You know what I mean? Yeah, I got that album on vinyl several months ago. And that's when I had to search for for a long time. But it is very, very good. 
Yeah. Is that album hard to find on vinyl? Because I see <laughs> on TikTok, it's kind of a flex if you have that on vinyl. So I get the feeling it's hard to find. It is a little tough to find. Yeah, it took me a while. Yeah. It took me a few years to find a copy of that. So, um, yeah, I don't think it has anything to do with when it came out. I just don't know that it was really popular here in the States, you know? Yeah, I was going to say now nowadays it's very well loved and highly acclaimed. Yeah, her voice is incredible. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So what are some of yours? All right. Well, before I start off on my list, uh, my wife had a pick. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it's, it's really good, too. Um, <laughs> off of the album Kick from 1987 by NXS, Need You Tonight, which runs into the song Meditate, which is kind of like a rap. You know that? I mean, I know Need You Tonight because it was a big hit. Mm -hmm. I remember that one, but I don't know the album enough to know that that second song. I'd have to check it out. Yeah, if you ever hear Need You Tonight on the radio, chances are 99% of the time, Meditate's going to follow it, and you probably just didn't know that that was a separate song, but it is. It just flows into each other so nicely. So that's my wife's pick. She's a huge NXS fan and, you know, got me into them. I wasn't a big fan until I met her, but uh, they're a fantastic band. So my honorable mentions, I'm a big fan of the indie group, The Decemberist, and I actually got to see them on the Hazards of Love tour. Uh, that album, I'm sorry. I just said nice. I Have we ever talked about The Decemberist before? I don't think so. Dude, it's funny, man. I went through a phase where I really liked them, and then I just couldn't take the way the guy sings after a while because he has these like weird inflections in his singing that I just yeah. thought started sounding fake after a while. Uh -huh. But I was really into them for a short while there. Yeah, I've fallen off them quite a bit. I, I liked them for a long time. But Buddy and I saw them on the Hazards of Love tour, and they did that album from front to back because it is a concept album and it flows into each other. And if you haven't listened to that album, it is fantastic. You know, it has this like really imaginative setting. You know, um, I don't really know how to describe it. It's very old world. You know, and it just tells a, a fantastic right. <laughs> story. Yeah, it, it tells a fantastic story. It's beautiful. But uh, the tracks that I picked off of that, which, again, I could have gone with any tracks, but the two that, that I thought are the best one-two punch on that album are A Bower Scene and Won't Want for Love. I had to say that very slowly. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, there's that. Um you know, it's funny, you know, coming up with these topics, it usually is because I hear something on the radio and it makes me think of these things. And I told you that I was sort of getting into the 70s rock now, like late 60s, early 70s. And I've been listening to a lot of bands like Rare Earth and uh, Grand Funk Railroad. And uh, there's this album called Closer to Home. And the last song on that is I'm Your Captain. And it goes into the song Closer to Home. I didn't put this on my list. This would have been very high on my list. But it's one of those things where it's clearly two tracks, but they're on the same track on the album. And so they kind of subtitle it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So I, I didn't do it for that reason, but I would have put it high on this list because I think they consider it one song, but it's clearly two different concepts and two songs broken up. So if you haven't heard I'm Your Captain and Closer to Home, 
they're popular tracks that are played on the radio, but uh, yeah, they're really, really groovy, and I love them. They're off of uh, Grand Funk Railroad's 1970 album, Closer to Home. And then finally, I want to give a shout out to our good buddies in the band At My Weapon. You know, my friend Cameron's been on the show before, and I'm not just saying this to give his band a shout out. I honestly mean it. Their first album, Dark Tower, has seven tracks that are it's Dark Tower 1 through 7. Again, it's these sort of concept tracks that deal with one theme, but it's in these extended progressive metal tracks, and they are incredible. I can't pick between them, but they all run together so nicely into one big narrative. And I just got to say, you got to check out the album Dark Tower by Atma Weapon. It's great stuff. Hell yeah, dude. Well, before we transition out of the concert cast, I almost forgot I got a concert ticket. Oh, nice. <laughs> I've got a good story, too. <laughs> oh, okay, good, good. So I haven't seen any shows, unfortunately, since the last time we recorded, but I did get a ticket to see The Menzingers, which is a band I have mm-hmm. talked about before. I saw them with my friend Frank a while back. Uh, but opening for them is Oso Oso, which is another like kind of punk emo band. And then this other band that I'm really getting into called Sincere Engineer. And they are a really good, like kind of indie emo punk band. And I'm really excited to see them because they just rock. Their album is really good and I highly recommend it. So it was kind of cool to kind of hear about this band and then, oh, they're going on tour and they're opening for a couple other bands that I like. So this is a good pickup. This is at the end of April. So it's coming up soon here. Yeah. Yeah. um, I know that you had mentioned the Menzingers before and I haven't told you this, but I come across a lot of vinyl for the Menzingers for some odd reason. You know, I know you don't have a record player, and I know that Frank's a big Menzingers fan, but I know that you like them, but you're not like a huge, huge fan. So I haven't mentioned that, but there's anything you guys are ever looking for, let me know, because I do come across it oddly a decent amount. So Interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, this is uh, pretty funny, but um, you'll recall from one of our last shows, I know that I mentioned I had tickets to go see the band All Them Witches. I think it was in like early December. Well, the time for the show came and it went and my wife and I completely forgot about it and forgot we had the tickets. Are you serious? Yes. Yes. Oh man, you don't. You gotta do what I do, man. I put every ticket I get on my refrigerator, and I see it every day. So <laughs> there's no way I could forget. Man, oh, that's awful. I'm so I know, sorry. I know. Oh. I know. I keep my tickets in my sock drawer. You know, those months were just so incredibly busy and insane that. I think even if we would have remembered, we wouldn't have gone because we had to go out of town for it. And um, it was during a really crazy time. So, yeah, it's kind of a funny story, but it sucks as well, because that's one band that I've really been wanting to see for quite a while. However, I am on the cusp right now of picking up some new tickets that I wanted to talk about for a second. It seems that Tom Kiefer, the lead singer of the band Cinderella, will be coming to Roanoke, Virginia, which is only about an hour and a half north of us. 
So um, I'm picking up two tickets to that show. If someone wants to go with me, they can. If not, I will be going by myself because Cinderella is on my bucket list. I have told the story. I know on this show several times about my brother being born and me receiving night songs as a gift from my baby brother via my parents. And uh, I love Cinderella, man. First CD I ever owned was Long Cold Winter. And so I have to see Mr. Kiefer, even though his vocal cords I hear are completely shredded. I don't care. I want to see the man and I definitely want to support him. So I will be getting tickets for that. And then the final band... They are coming on the weekend to Asheville, which is a decent ride away, and then during the week to Charlotte, North Carolina, which is a little closer to me. But the band Krungman, who I've talked about on the show several times, the Charlotte show is during the week, and I may select to go to that one because it is closer and because it is in an outdoor venue, which I think my daughter might be able to get into. She really loves the band. She's always listened to them since I've listened to them. But many of you out there may be familiar with the show The Outer Banks, which is a very popular streaming series. It's more of a kind of a teeny mystery treasure hunt show. But basically all the music on that show is by the band Krungbin. And so if you've watched the show, you've definitely heard the band. And I'm really, really happy to see them getting some notoriety and success so uh yeah i definitely want to go out and support them they're one of my favorite bands right now and also even though they're a newer band they're on my bucket list as well so i can cross two off awesome good shows are coming back slower than i thought when we saw bad religion a couple months ago i was just like oh it's on you know what i mean and you went to a show around the same time uh and i was just like oh it's back baby but it hasn't been quite like that <laughs> so yeah a little slow rolling but uh yeah you know. hey we'll take what we can get so that's right
All right, man. Well, uh, let's roll in the pickups. I'm going to try to keep it really, really abbreviated because it's been a while since we've uh, done a show and I've had a lot, a lot of pickups. So I'm um, going to let you go first. I imagine you've probably got several because <laughs> it's been a long time. But, you know, who knows? You are Sean. So you could be going through one of those purging phases again. Dude, we went through Black Friday and Christmas and just normal life for about four months since the last time we talked. So I got so many pickups. But first, I feel like I owe you and I owe our audience an update on my personal situation because I've talked about how my position, my job, was being eliminated coming up here. It's actually at the end of this month now. So I wasn't sure what I was going to do as of our last recording and a few of our previous recordings because the bright side of all this is I was giving a long notice that my facility was shutting down. So I had time to research and look around and do some networking, do a lot of interviews. And I just want to let everybody know that I do have another job that I'm going to be starting basically as soon as my current job ends. So there will not be a break in my income, and I'm very grateful for that. And I appreciate the support of everybody, and I'm going to be fine. So thanks to anybody who's reached out or who I've talked to about this kind of stuff or just our listeners. You know, I'm ending this job on March 31st and then starting the new job on April 4th. So I won't have a break at all. And of course, I got severance from my old job, so I'll, I'll make out pretty well. Very nice. Pretty exciting stuff. So that leads me into my scores or my pickups, whatever you want to call it. And boy, do I have a list here, Rich. I'm not <laughs> sure what I should take out. So let's just go GameStop on Black Friday. They did, I think it was buy two, get two free or something crazy like that. So I used that as an opportunity to pick up a bunch of stuff that I was missing, I thought. So Star Ocean, Integrity and Faithlessness, that's the PS4 Star Ocean game. Uh, I got this game called Destiny Connect TikTok Travelers, which has nothing to do with TikTok <laughs> the app. God, thank you. But it's a, it's a uh, RPG that's more aimed at kids, but a lot of people say it's just a good game in general, kind of an earthbound kind of situation. Like Crusaders a, of Senti. Right. It's definitely in that vein, just a cutesy RPG. And I said, you know, that's right up my alley. I'm definitely picking that up. Uh, I got the Resident Evil 2 remake for PS4. And then I just kind of filled out my order with a bunch of Xbox 360 games. I got Metro 2033, The Evil Within, the Borderlands pre-sequel. And then I got Kingdoms of Amalar, which is one of my favorite games, and I didn't realize that I already have a copy, so I gave that copy away to a coworker, and he was happy, so uh, that was a win-win, or lose-win. <laughs> the rest of this stuff is just general pickups until I get to Christmas, so these are just things I bought off eBay or Amazon. So I got Iron Man VR. Shining Resonance Refrain, which is a RPG I've had my eyes on for a while. Uh, and then off eBay, I got Valkyria Revolution, World of Final Fantasy Maxima, Rogue Trooper Redux. I got Spirit Fairer. I think I got that one off Amazon. And sorry, my list got so big that I was writing in the margins and I had it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had it like sectioned off, but it got out of control. 
Next section is going to be Christmas. So one of the best games I got for Christmas was this Switch game called Waifu Uncovered, (laughs) 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 which some knucklehead from North Carolina sent me. (laughs) Had to, man, had to. (laughs) No, but honestly, that was one of the best boxes I've ever gotten. It just was just full of cool stuff. You got me, there was a t-shirt in there, a Godzilla magnet, uh, and the Gamera Blu-ray was a really cool touch. And I told you this over text, but when I picked up that Gamera Blu-ray, I had this situation of, oh, this is cool, but I already have it. And then I realized it's not the same one I have. This is a different set of movies. So I was nice. like, yes, I don't have this one. So that that was just awesome, man. Thank you so much for sending that over. Absolutely. And then, man, God bless my wife. I tell her, just get stuff that you think I will like. Look for anime on the cover and just buy it for me. You know, if I don't like it, I can sell it or whatever. And she usually comes out with some good stuff. And I like doing this because it's surprising. And then I'm not just telling her, I want this game and this game and this game. And then she gives them to me on Christmas. That's boring. You know what I mean? I could just buy it for myself if I was going to do that. So she got me this game called The Eternal Cylinder, which is, I, I can't even describe it. It's very weird looking. Uh, she got me this game called Kina Bridge of Spirits Deluxe Edition. And this is kind of like a 3D Zelda action adventure game that got really good reviews. Uh, she got me <laughs> Agatha Christie. I can't pronounce that character's name. Hercule Poirot First Cases. And we just saw the movie that he was in, and I still can't say his name. Uh, (laughs) And then these three I asked for specifically, Evil Within 2, Tales of Arise, and Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. Those three I asked for because Call of Duty Cold War just wouldn't go down in price, so I didn't want to buy it for myself, so I, (laughs) I had her get it for Christmas. And then back to the one she picked out herself. She got me Oddworld Soulstorm, which was in a steel book. I was like, oh, that's really cool. I didn't know what that was or, you know, that it had come out. And then the the winner was this game called Astria Ascending. I don't know if you've heard of this one, Rich, but when I saw it, I was like, how do I not know? I didn't even know this game existed. Hmm. It's a Nintendo Switch game. And the cover art is amongst the most beautiful cover art I've ever seen. Female protagonist, JRPG, with this beautiful painting on the cover. When I unwrapped it, I was like, what the hell is this? And how do I not know about it? This is like so in my wheelhouse. And that's just why, you know, I tell my wife, just pick something you think I would like. And that was like perfect. I couldn't believe I'd never heard of this game. But Astria Ascending, that was the one that I was like, wow, that's so cool. Uh, I bought Spirit Fairer for the PS4. That's supposed to be a cool, like, story-driven, almost like an oxen-free, but has more strategy elements to it. And then I got uh, Kataria Fables and Witch Spring 3. Those were two games that came in, like, a pack. I don't know if you've noticed, Rich, that Amazon is doing... They're kind of pushing these buying two games at once under one listing and it's one price. I've seen it more and more. And sometimes if you look hard enough, you can find a game that you wanted already and it comes with another game at a little bit of a discounted price if you put the two of them together. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. 
So that's how I got these Kataria fables and Witch Spring 3. I don't really know too much about either one of them, except for that Kataria has like cats on the cover and Witch Spring 3 looks like an anime. So I grabbed them. Uh, next I got, I'm almost done, by the way. I got Doki Doki Literature Club, which is a game that has so much buzz around it. I really just wanted it in my collection. Never played it. I kind of know what it's about, but I don't, I know it's one of those things you don't want to spoil, but <laughs> I got G Darius HD, which I'm going to spoil. I know you got a copy of this I as did. well, because Josh told us in the, our group chat, Hey, this is $16. And we, we were all just basically saying, oh, any Switch game for $16 is... I think six or seven of us ended up buying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's an automatic buy. I don't, I don't even like shooters that much, but I'm getting that. I got a game called Chris Tales and a game called Scarlet Nexus on the Xbox One. And this was another one of those Amazon, like two games in one listing things. Scarlet Nexus, I'm especially interested in because it's just an anime action game that's supposed to be really good and it's something that flew under a lot of people's radar because the cover art is pretty nondescript and you know boring looking so i'm interested in that one and lastly i got sakura wars for ps4 i was kind of like looking around at ps4 games and thinking what PS4, Xbox One, and Switch games should I grab before the prices go off? You know what I mean? And yeah. Sakura Wars came out a little while ago, but you can still get a copy for about 20 bucks. So I said, I better grab this. And then the last game I got was Eastward. This is a really hyped game right now on the Switch. And I believe there will be an uh north american physical re- i'm not sure but i got the japanese version from play asia because it has english capability you just download an english patch and you can play it in english and that's about it i gotta say rich i i've gone down a bad rabbit hole and my youtube algorithm now has all these switch channels and there's this channel i don't know if you watch it it's called switch watch and they have a series called Let's Get Physical. And every week they talk about what Switch games are coming out physically. And they're into physical media and collecting. So every week there's all these games and I'm like, ooh, I want that. Ooh, I want that. And they <laughs> give out their coupon code. And then you go on Play Asia and you spend 100 bucks. And uh, it's a, just a bad rabbit hole to be down because there's a lot of cool niche anime, cute or sexy or whatever kind of anime game you want to play on the Switch. So Switch Watch TV, you're hurting my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to stay away from that for sure. Yeah. So I think that's it. This list, like I said, is all over the place, but I think I got everything. But yeah, my wife killed it on Christmas and then... Black Friday was pretty good to me. But I will say this long list went up until about January and I haven't really bought too much since then. It was over the holidays that I really went crazy. Yeah, I picked up quite a few Switch games over uh, the uh, few months as we recorded as well, which you'll hear about in a few minutes. Nice. Well, go for it, man. That's all of mine. So let's hear it. Well, I'm going to start off with a Christmas present that I got in the mail from my secret Santa, who this year was our good friend, Bigman2K. 
he sent me an awesome gift package with a lot of awesome candy in it. Some of those like Japanese flavored gummies that I really, really love. My game store here gives them away. And he sent me a huge bag of those, plus some Pockies with chocolate and almonds in them. I could not keep my kids away from them. I tried. Uh, but those are some of my favorite candies, and I was very appreciative of that. But as far as games are concerned, I got an Atari 5200 game from him, Zaxxon, which was actually complete in the box. It's beautiful. It's a really, really cool game, and I haven't picked up a 5200 game in a long time. My 5200 and 7800 collections are just as they are. I would like to complete them, but... I just kind of pick up the games as I come across them. So I was very, very happy to put that in my collection. And he also sent me a copy of Guitar Hero World Tour, which I needed. I've been trying to collect all the Guitar Hero games specifically for the Wii. And I have them all now except for Guitar Hero Van Halen. Now, they did put a sleeve copy of Guitar Hero Van Halen with one of the other Guitar Hero games that they sold. I don't remember. It was like a combo pack. So I do have that full game, but I would like the Van Halen in the case, which unfortunately, since Eddie has passed, is going for a decent amount now, an amount that I really don't want to pay. Plus, the Guitar Hero series has been rejuvenated by covid for some reason. And I think it's because people were in the same boat as I was. You're stuck in your house with your kids and you're like, Hey man, why don't you guys check this out? And the kids are playing guitar hero now with their parents. And, uh, we went through that phase and it was a lot of fun. And my kids still love playing those games. Now it's really cool. And, um, you know, my kids aren't going to learn how to play guitar from that, but the awesome thing is that they are hearing a lot of cool songs that they've never heard before. And they're interested in, you know, music a little more. All right, so let's get to that big Switch list. I picked up copies of Spinch, Alex Kidd and Miracle World, the remake, No Straight Roads, Sea of Solitude, which is a game that was actually published by Quantic Dream, Sean, so you might want to check that one out. What is it called? Sea of Solitude. Uh, it rings a bell. I don't really know what it's about. It looked really cool when I watched a trailer of it and I saw that it was published by Quantic Dream and I was like, that's enough for me, you know? So yeah. <laughs> this might be one that we need to look into and maybe consider playing for a playthrough in the future if it's something you'd be interested in. Sure. I picked up a game called Carrion, which is where you're this amorphous blob on this ship and you're eating people. So you play as the enemy, which looks really awesome. G Darius HD, which we talked about Kirby Star Allies, WarioWare, Get It Together, Space Invaders Forever, Kentucky Route Zero, which our buddy uh, Floyd had talked about a long time ago and I think did a an, an article about it. He really liked it. He compared it a lot to Twin Peaks and to David Lynch films. So, again, you, you say those words and you've sold a game to me. I love weird stuff, as I know you do as well. My kids got a game called Hoa, and it's spelled H-O-A, so we had a lot of fun with this on our thread with our friends about homeowners associations and what <laughs> right. you would need to do. But this game is actually a little platformer where you just kind of make your way through the game, just a little cutesy thing. And I thought my five-year-old would really love this, 
And um, I don't think you die or anything. You just sort of make your way through this little adventure and look kind of cute and like fun. So uh, Santa brought that to him. I also picked up a copy of the uh, Shmup Cotton Reboot, which is a shooter that uh, came out on the Switch. I think it came out originally on the Super Famicom, and I know uh, some of that series was also ported to some of the Japanese Sega systems, but uh, the Cotton games really didn't make it over here in America, but they're really, really good shmups. And then I picked up the last two games I was looking for for my PS1 show. <laughs> No, they're not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I just randomly picked up copies of Alien Trilogy and a game called Machine Hunter because it looked really cool. I still have a few more places on my PS1 shelving for games. So when I find something that looks kind of cool or interesting, I definitely pick it up. So I got those two. My good friend, Game Ruler, my neighbor, and Game Ruler's no account dad got me a few gifts for Christmas. He was really upset that I did not have the Kirby games on the DS, that I didn't have them all. So he got me copies of Kirby Mass Attack, Canvas Curse, and Squeak Squad, all complete for the DS, and that was a really, really awesome Christmas present this year. From our good friend Disposed Hero, I picked up a few games from his cell thread. He's selling some great stuff on our generation, so you should definitely check it out. I picked up Onimusha Tactics, loose for the Game Boy Advance, and also loose copies of uh, some harder-to-find games for the Game Boy, which I'm really enjoying collecting for right now. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 Radical Rescue and Roland's Curse 2, which is a really, really awesome RPG for the Game Boy. I've also picked up copies recently of Felix the Cat, Great Greed, which is another really cool RPG for the Game Boy, Mr. Do. James Bond 007, which we'll be talking about in a little while, and Burei Fighter DX for the Game Boy. And I was also able to pick up the last game that I was looking for for my Vita. This is actually true, Sean. This is a game that I was really surprised that I came across in the wild, and I don't know why I wanted this game and why this game was on my wish list, but it just happened to be, and that is a game called Punchline. Are you familiar with that? Definitely heard of it and seen the cover, but I've never played it. What made you want it? I have no idea. I think it's like one of these (laughs) waifu panty shooter games. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can see I have no idea why I had that on my list, but I did. And I saw it locally, and it was cheap, and I was like, I'm going to get it because, A, you don't see Vita games, and that sure as hell is one you're not going to see. So uh, I picked it up. But it was the last game on my list. That's true. I picked up a shmup that I had been looking for for a while. I'm trying to round out my TurboGrafx collection, and there's only a few more games that I'm actively looking for. And one of those was uh, Dead Moon. I came across this game at the uh, Retro World Expo, and I was like, a few seconds late of a guy grabbing it from out in front of me. Been looking for it since, and uh, I found a complete copy of that, which I'm really happy about. And I picked up the last game that I was actively looking for for my Sega Genesis complete inbox, and that is Ease 3. These last few games that I picked up were a little bit pricey games, 
And I was able to grab those from money that I've made off of selling my artwork, which has been doing pretty well. So that's nice. It's a, it's a nice kind of way to supplement my game collecting is through my artwork. So I picked up a copy of Guardian Force for the Sega Saturn. That's a Japanese shooter. My buddy Dan, who owns the local game store, he uh, came to a birthday party that I had out of my arcade, gave me a $50 gift certificate for my birthday, which he didn't have to do, but very kind of him to do that. And so I went to his store and uh, picked up a somewhat pricey game from him and was able to add to my growing collection of shmups. And then the next to last thing that I picked up, which you might get excited about, Sean, I found a PSP Go for really cheap. Oh, yeah. I remember you posting this. I'm very jealous because I still don't have one. Yeah, it was local and they really couldn't get it to work. And I was like, I'll take a shot at this. And so I picked it up. Yeah, nothing wrong with it whatsoever. (laughs) I think nobody wanted to buy it because they're, you know, kind of afraid to like, how am I going to play it? But uh, apparently there are some methods out there to jailbreak this thing. And so I'm definitely going to be making my first attempt at jailbreaking a handheld with the PSP Go. Oh, that is so exciting to hear. I'm so happy to hear that, man. And you couldn't have picked a better handheld to start with because PSP is very beginner level hacking. You're you're actually yeah. just dragging and dropping some stuff onto the memory of the PSP and you're good to go. Oh man, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait, man. I I love the PSP. I love the way it feels in your hands. I love the way it just kind of slides. It, it's something that I've been looking for, but of course, you know, I you know, was always skeptical about picking one up till I could do some research on it. So I'm yeah, yeah. happy to have that. I want one. I'm so yeah. jealous. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I see one locally, I'll let you know for sure. Cool. Um, and then my final pickup was a new family member. We got a new dog. Nice. Yeah. It's a little dog. Everyone asks me what type of dog it is. And I just tell them it's an idiot because that's exactly <laughs> what it is. It's kind of stupid, but I love it. It's just lovable, you know. We've been looking for a puppy for a while, and we found one on a Facebook group, and the woman just wanted it to, to go to a good home. We'd been, we have a Shih Tzu, and we've been looking for another. But this one is part Shih Tzu because the father is a Shih Tzu, but the mother was a Pomeranian Husky mix, a Pomsky which is like a boutique <laughs> nice. dog. <laughs> so you figure out how that works. Yeah. But it's got a uh, sort of black hair with gray undertones and it has two different colored eyes like the husky would. Okay. And uh, so we were trying to decide on a name and I was thinking, man, David Bowie had two different colored eyes, so we went with Ziggy. Very cool. That's a good good name for a dog. I like that. Yeah, it's awesome. As soon as it came out of my mouth, everyone was like, "Oh yeah." Yeah, all the kids were like, yeah, yeah, it's great. You know, I wanted to call it Satan, but they wouldn't let me. Um, Yep, that's all my pickups, man. Awesome. That wasn't too bad. We got through that pretty quickly. (laughs) About a half hour. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be honest, my what are you playing is going to be a little bit shorter. Uh, Mine's very short. (laughs) Okay. You want to go first? Sure, man. Okay. Again, you know, I've been just really um, pumping a lot of time into my artwork and stuff, so I haven't played a lot of games. Most of what I've been playing are on my phone, and one of those games is called Retro Bowl, which um, is basically like a handheld Tecmo Bowl, 
but it has a management feel to it where you can actually draft players and you can power up players, you know, and you have to make sure the team morale is good and stuff like that. So it's a very, very cool and nice blend. And it doesn't have official names of players. All the names are made up and they're, they're some of them are kind of funny. So it's kind of awesome in that sense. But it does have all of the MNFL teams and NFL colors. So if you'd like Tecmo Bowl, I would say this is a really fun game to pick up for your phone. And then the other one that I'm playing right now is called Call of Antia. That's A-N-T-I-A. This is one of these like kind of RPG battling games where you pick up all these different faction characters, very fantasy-like elves, you know, wizards, warriors, just sort of D&D stuff. It's one of those games that has like a um, gem moving game. Do you know what I'm, I'm talking about when I say that? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so you you move the gems over and then it fires shots at your enemies and stuff like that. And then you have like certain spells you can cast. There's dragons. It's pretty fun. You know, I don't know how long it will last, but um, it's kind of a neat game. You can find me on there, Single Banana. And uh, if you want to join up, that would be cool. I think it's one of the newer games. So if you start right now, you're not so far behind as far as leveling as you are in a lot of the games that have been out there for a while. So that is Call of Antia. It's a pretty fun pick up and put down game. I've been playing a lot of Wordle. Have you gotten the Wordle bug, Sean? Do you know about this? I know about it for sure. I mean, (laughs) I do have a Twitter account. So yes, I know about Wordle. (laughs) Dude, I fought it, but you know, my kids do it. My wife does it. It's a one word a day thing. It's sort of like the uh, board game mastermind where you're trying to figure out what the word is and it tells you if the letters are in the right place. So I, everybody who hears this is going to know what Wordle is and you don't have to explain it to me, (laughs) but what I want to know Uh is what drives people to post it on Twitter and say, Woo, that was a close one. Is it because like, is there a streak or a score element to it? Like, how does that work? Yeah. It keeps up with how many guesses it takes you and you only get six. Yeah. So if you don't get it in six, you lose your streak. And so people will post that or they want to like show off like how many they got it in or whatever. We kind of do it in our house. It's just sort of bragging rights. Like I got it in three today or I got it in two, you know. Okay. I think I've only gotten one in two tries. It's very hard to do two, but I've gotten several in three. And that's sort of the goal where you want to get it in at least three. One's, you know, nearly impossible. Just luck. Two, almost the same. But yeah, it's just sort of a a mind exerciser, you know. It's funny, we tried to get my wife's parents to play it. They're like really big intellectuals as far as like bridge players and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. But dude, they got so pissed trying to figure it out. They just absolutely (laughs) hated it. It just threw us for a loop. We're like, I can't believe they don't like this game. So weird. You know, it's fun. I don't get the posting it on Twitter and Facebook and bragging about it. It's kind of weird. I just think it's kind of fun for our family to do, you know. It's good for my kids, too. Great for their vocabulary, you know. So I think it's really cool. Nice. Very cool. And we've been playing some Battle Cats. That's cool. I actually set up a Japanese account on my Switch. (laughs) Cool. So that I could get Battle Cats for my five-year-old. Dude, that took so much effort. You have no idea. Because they have put out Battle Cats in Japan but have not put it out here for the Switch. Right. I think they even have a physical copy there. 
but it's cool. They added some cool stuff to it where like when you knock out the cats, they fly off the screen and fly at the screen and stuff. And my kid, he loves it, man. It's really, really fun. That's cool. I'm surprised you didn't just buy the physical edition since the Switch is region free. I could have just got him that. I didn't know that there was a physical edition. Oh, okay. But dude, my credit card wouldn't work. So I'm trying to like figure out this Japanese. I'm watching all these YouTube videos. It took me like five hours to do this. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I haven't done this and I've thought about it. Now you're <laughs> you're dissuading me from wanting to do it. I could it. probably help you out. But the problem <laughs> is, you know, like people post videos that are from a year ago. Well, the shops change. Yeah, there's updates all the time. Yeah, so that makes it tough. But to get games, you have to buy eShop cards. For Japan, right. Yes, so you go on Play Asia and buy the cards. I was comfortable with that because I buy stuff from PlayAsia all the time. So yep. you buy the cards from there, and then you have to redeem them on the site. And, dude, it is a big <laughs> headache. But if you're really into playing games from there and stuff that's not coming over here, I think it would be beneficial to set up a Japanese account. I did it. Very cool. If my old 45-year-old ass can do it, anyone can. <laughs> that's awesome to hear that. Is that it? When you said you were into mobile games, I was hoping you were playing Ebony and join my wife's clan. <laughs> you know, I've seen advertisements for that, but it's like it's sort of this like weird puzzle thing. But the way your wife was describing it on one of our last shows, it didn't seem like it was what I was thinking it was at all. So I might have to look into that. Yep. It makes sense that you say that because she told me the advertising is super deceptive because they make it look like a puzzle game. The ads for that game are super deceptive because they make it look like a puzzle game. But what it really is, is a tower defense RPG and nice. there's very little puzzle elements in it. She said she wanted to play puzzles and then got sucked into the RPG <laughs> tower defense and town management stuff. So My wife loves those, man. She might like it. Yeah, we'll have to get them together. <laughs> Yeah, tell her to join my wife's clan, whatever it was called. <laughs> I'll listen to the episode. Yeah, there you go. I think it's in the last one, actually, <laughs> that I haven't finished editing. <laughs> nice. All right, man, what are you playing? All right, so I'll get it out of the way. I'm still playing Trails of Cold Steel on the Vita. Wow. I'm just picking it up and putting it down, playing it here and there from time to time. It's a really good game. I'm not going to lie. It's just there's some parts of it that make it really time consuming to play and not the least of which is the mountains of text that you have to get through. It's almost like visual novel level of writing in this game and I have never in my life been a person who would skip cutscenes or skip text. I want to see it all. Like I paid my money for the game. I want to see everything it has to offer. But I have been hardcore scrubbing through text in this game. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. I really don't care. Just get me, get me through to that. You can hold the circle button and it just buzzes through all the text and you don't have to read it. I feel bad doing it, but it's like I'll fall asleep if I sit here trying to read it all. I'm towards the end of that game and I'm nearing like the 40 hour mark. So it's not like a huge time investment or like this crazy long game for an RPG. But it's like, man, this game would be 10 hours long without all that text. You know what I mean? So next, I played a bunch of VR. And if anybody wants to go to RF Generation and look at my articles, I did a three part series on all these VR games I played where I wrote like little reviews on each game. But 
I played Iron Man VR, which I mentioned picking up. I just bought it off Amazon on Black Friday. And that was a lot of fun. It's pretty cool playing in a game where you fly around as Iron Man and use a move controllers as like your hand lasers or whatever. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool game, good production, but very long load times, which is a real mood killer when you're in VR and you're just like kind of standing there like an idiot waiting for a load to finish. But it is what it is. I played Firewall, which is a multiplayer shooter. It's basically like Rainbow Six or Call of Duty in VR. You're running around, you know, like Call of Duty maps with guns shooting at people. And it's really a lot of fun. The problem is there's not a lot of people playing now except for these like MLG pro dudes who like (laughs) they're really good. And I got into a game once where they were doing like tactics and the one guy was like training the other guy. And I'm like, (laughs) I don't belong here, dude. (laughs) And they were like, no, I'll help you. I'll tell you what to do. And it was fun they were nice to me but then we got back in the lobby and they were just like you gotta practice you know if you want to get in in with us and i was like okay you know it's all good (laughs) do you know what a smurf account is rich they were like these are just our smurf accounts this isn't even our real and they were like level 99 with like everything and i'm like what's a smurf account it's like oh when you max out one account you make a smurf account and do it again and i'm like how many Smurfs do you guys have? And the other mm-hmm. one guy's like, oh, I got five. I got, you should I have got been ten. like, well, this is my fucking Gargamel account. What do you think about that? <laughs> it was just fun. I just, It was just a, a good experience. But the cool thing about it is you can play not offline, but you can play single player with bots. And if you yeah. increase the difficulty, the bots get harder. And it's pretty fun. And nice. You can use the aim controller, which is that gun-shaped controller. So. Mm-hmm. Very fun tactical LARPing. I played Tetris Effect, which is... Ooh, yes. Yeah, this really cool Tetris game. Love it. The music's amazing. Dude, isn't it? I actually went and bought the soundtrack, and I have one of the songs as my alarm clock to wake up to in the morning. (laughs) I love this music so much. And actually, the game itself... It has like a campaign, you could call it, that's called Journey Mode. Mm. And it's pretty short. You know, you can beat it in like two or three hours. But I got really stuck on that final level. I might be getting my numbers wrong, but I think to beat each normal level until the last one, you have to make 30 lines. But on the final level, you have to make 90 lines. And (sighs) it's either the final 60 or the final 30 goes at, Not top speed, but it goes at like level 10 where you've been playing level three to six for like the whole game. Mm -hmm. So you just get blasted with this like high speed Tetris at the end of the game. And man, I was having a hard time with this. Like I'm not really good at Tetris. So I was just like getting so close, like getting to like 88 lines, 87 lines and failing. And I was like, ah, I was just so mad. And when you got a VR headset on, you can't do any like controller chucking or VR headset chucking. Exactly. So one of the things that kept me going was the music. My favorite song on the soundtrack is the final song and it's called Always Been But Never Dreamed. And it just has Mm. such great lyrics, just spiritually uplifting lyrics and really gets you going when you're in this 
level. Although I couldn't beat it in VR, I came home the next day, whatever it was, came home from work and I said, let me practice on the screen without the VR. So I ended up beating it in one of my practice sessions. Actually, the first time I tried it, just casually, like, let me practice it. I ended up beating it. So that was cool. That game and that music is so, so good. Yeah, we had a great time with that at our house. Yeah, my wife loved it, too. And then as far as VR, the last thing I played is a game called Walking Dead Saints and Sinners. And then there's a DLC on it called Aftershocks that I also played. This is, hands down, the best VR game I've ever played. Wow. And it's so good that it makes all other VR games pale in comparison, like not even close. It's a survival horror roguelike (laughs) in the Walking Dead universe with immersion that you cannot believe. You use the move controllers on the PS4 and you have this backpack that you have to reach over your back to use the backpack. You put stuff in it and then you go to your home base and you pull the stuff out of the backpack and throw it in a bin and you can do crafting with it. You have weapons like stabbing knife type weapons, swords, and then wacky weapons like these like blades that you can put on your hand, like Wolverine claws. And of course, there's guns that are realistic to real world guns. They don't use the names, but you have like a Beretta 92 and an AR-15. And they're really well done. I can't put into words like how addicted I was to this game for a while. (laughs) Because you just go in and you're literally like trying to survive and scavenging materials to make stuff and to craft weapons and ammo. And all this time there's zombies coming up on you. And man, you can get really sadistic. I wish I had like recorded myself playing this game. And I almost am ashamed to (laughs) to (laughs) recount my behavior playing this game. But you can take the move controller and reach out, say, with your left hand and just Mm -hmm. say, come here, little mama, and put your hand on her head and then stab right through the jaw. Wow. Or you could take a bigger blade and chop her head off and hold her head in your left hand and then throw it if you want. It's just so, so good. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And actually, after I beat that game, I was kind of like, man, where do I go from here? No VR game is as good as this. Where do I go from here? I'm going to go find a small child to do this to. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, but, <laughs> but after that, I haven't played much VR at all. It's kind of like there's nothing better than that. So that was like my VR experience for the winter. VR to me is a winter sport. I, that's usually how it goes. When it starts getting too hot to put the equipment on and it's light out till late at night, you know, it's harder to get motivated to play VR. Right. So what else do I got? Earth Defense Force 5. My wife and I finally beat that one. Nice. Oh, I forgot to mention Astrobot Rescue Mission. That's another big VR title. It's a platformer that Sony put out where you play this little robot and you go through levels. It's like a collect-a-thon kind of in the vein of a Ratchet and Clank kind of game, but it's in VR. Very cute. It's a really good game. And I was scared because you have to have a certain amount of the robots that you collect throughout the levels to unlock, like the boss of each world. And I was like, oh, no, this is gated progression. I hate gated progression. But it was very, very low threshold to like play through the game. 
I never had to go back and replay a level to find more bots to unlock anything. So if you're worried about that kind of thing, don't worry about it. Uh, yeah, Earth Defense Force 5. My wife and I have been playing this one for a while and we beat it recently. And then we started going back and playing all the levels on hard difficulty. So the EDF games typically have five difficulties. It's easy, medium, hard, and then hardest, which is weird because it's not the hardest because after that is Inferno. And we have traditionally played the games on easy or medium. But as it turns out, now that I'm becoming the preeminent Earth Defense Force TikToker, I feel that I have to start playing the games on the harder difficulties. So we've been replaying uh, Earth Defense Force 5 now that we beat it on hard. So you're saying you're letting your TikTok account gatekeep you? <laughs> In a certain sense. Well, no, not really. It's just that I want willingly. I want to get better at the game so I can produce more content and not just be uh, playing every level on easy and talking gotcha. about it, you know? Have you ever played on the Switch Tori 3D or Tori 2? No. So you should check these out. I think you would like them. It's spelled T-O-R-E-E. -E, and these games are 99 cents, regular price. It's not a sale price. That's what they are, 99 cents. And what they are is stylized to look like a PS1 or N64 game. Mm -hmm. Platformers that are... Ew, did you say N64? forget i said that ps1 it looks like a <laughs> ps1 game um <laughs> but it's just a cute platformer with short levels but then it has this like kind of weird stuff thrown in it so it really reminds me of like back in the day where you'd have something on the screen that made you kind of scratch your head or you know things that make you go hmm when you're playing a game and it has that kind of stuff in it that kind of weird stuff as you're playing and i i really enjoyed it so cool. i played tori 3d i haven't played the second one yet but i would highly recommend them for you very cool i played this game called fairy legends of avalon and that's spelled f-a-e-r-y i had it on the ps3 it's kind of like a Western style RPG, like a Skyrim or a Fallout. And I really, really liked it. You play as a fairy, obviously. Flying is your only mode of transportation, so I like it already. It's one of those RPGs where you solve stuff by talking to characters and interacting. And it's it's not like the most well-written game in the world. You know, it's kind of like, you know, a Wish.com version of Fallout or Mass Effect or whatever. And... You know, sometimes games like that are just what the doctor ordered. I ended up yeah. really, really loving it. So highly recommend that one. And then lastly, I played through Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. It was pretty good, but my wife got it for me for Christmas. I tried to play it and I had to delete like almost everything off of my PS4 because there was like a 70 gig install. Oh, wow. I was so annoyed. As soon as I finished it, I sold it on eBay. I was like, I will never play this game again. That sucks. And I wanted to save this one for last. I played James Bond 007, everything or nothing on the original Xbox. So okay. I've played every James Bond game on the Xbox except for Rogue Agent. And technically, I've, I haven't played From Rush with Love because I've only played the PSP version and that has some of the levels cut out of it. So 
I may go back and play that one on the Xbox. But yeah, I played through all those James Bond games. And this one was pretty good. And it's one of those games that I think people look at with rose-tinted glasses because there were some real, real, real pain-in-the-ass segments of this game. And the thing that makes it infuriating is that some of these levels have no checkpoints whatsoever. You'll do the motorcycle part, then the shooting part, then you'll climb and do a turret section or whatever it is. You'll do some stealth and then you'll get to a part where you don't know what's coming and you get killed and then you're back on the motorcycle again. And it's like, no, (laughs) no way. (laughs) So that was at times infuriating, but I got through it. I beat it and pretty cool game. I think kind of overrated by people who haven't played it in a long time but i say that with all due respect it was a pretty cool game now was this play influenced by our game of the month no i I was actually playing through these games like over the course of last year i played a couple of the other james bond games on the original xbox night fire and agent under fire were the other two that i played and that was just the next one in the sequence And I was in the middle of playing it when you told me you wanted to do this James Bond game for the Game Boy. So I thought that was pretty cool. Interesting. Very neat, man. So that's it. Uh, (laughs) Currently playing our game for March, which we'll tell you about at the end here. Feel the beat of my heart.
All right, so uh, through this long hiatus, we had played the game Red Dead Redemption Undead Nightmare. And Sean, at the beginning of the show, we stated, you know, that we were doing a hard reset and we weren't really going to talk about that game much or Musashi since, you know, neither one of us really got into that and didn't get far into playing it. But I did want to provide some final thoughts on Red Dead Redemption Undead Nightmare because I did play it, and I know you did as well, and I know that you really liked the game a lot. So um, let's just talk about it maybe for a few minutes and talk about what we liked and maybe didn't like about the game and whether we would recommend it. Sure. So I picked that game because I really liked the original game, but I thought that might be too much for us to do in a one month playthrough. So I suggested for our Halloween spooky season type pick for October (laughs) that that could be our game for Halloween. So I remember getting this physically because this is one of those standalone DLCs that they put out physically. So for your physical only collectors out there, this is a good one to get into because you can have it on a disc. I will say, if you get it on a disc, it's a 360 game. I advise not to play it on an Xbox One because that's what Steven did and that's what I did and we both had tons of issues playing this game. So I highly recommend playing it on an original Xbox 360. I don't remember having the issues I had back in the day the first time I played it. But... I enjoy this game a lot because it's kind of side story, a kind of bizarro world fiction of the characters who are in the original game. But having said that, you don't have to have played the original game. You can kind of just get the gist of who these characters are. But it does add a little bit of context to the jokes if you know who they are. I like the action, like running around with the guns and the explosives and trying to outrun the hordes of zombies. And then you get the things like the bees that you can use and the the bile, I think it was, to kind of control and manipulate and have fun with the zombies, setting them on fire, all this kind of stuff. Again, the kind of sadism that I was talking about (laughs) with the Walking Dead (laughs) VR game. You can kind of get into that frame of mind here as well. I just really love this game. There's some really good dark humor throughout the whole game, especially, I won't spoil it, but Rich, the Yeti mission or the Sasquatch mission. (laughs) Yes. um, Really is something totally unforgettable. And I really like this game a lot and recommend anybody grab it, especially if you like Red Dead. If you've played Red Dead 2, never played the original highly recommend you go back and play the original and then play this. So yeah, Rich, I know you're not the most foremost modern gamer and I would still consider this a modern game. So what what did you think about it? Well, uh, to start off, I played it on the 360. There is a, I believe it's like a game of the year edition that has the uh, original Red Dead Redemption disc as well as a disc for Undead Nightmare, nice. which is uh, really awesome. It's a really cool way to do it. And funny story, I bought Undead Nightmare on eBay, and then as I was going to put it in my collection, realized that I had already purchased the Game of the Year edition with both <laughs> on it. Cool. Uh, so I ended up, you know, reselling it to a local game store. But um, I like the game. As you know, I'm not a big fan of the Grand Theft Auto series, and this was a Rockstars game, but I love Bully. And I felt like this game kind of fell in between those two for me. 
The open world and travel system was a little much, though. You can go to, like, find a bed and rest and travel to cities that you've already been to, which that's a little helpful, but the world is still, like, very open, so you're taking a horse to a lot of places. So I thought that, you know, the travel was a little excessive for me. Aiming, I had a lot of difficulty with. And I found that instead of using guns, a lot of times I was using the torch to fight with a lot, which that says more about me, (laughs) you know, as a gamer than it actually says about the game, because I feel like somebody who's more of a modern gamer could do a lot better with the controls than what I did. I like the game and I like the missions and stuff. I really love the atmosphere. The Western atmosphere is just a lot of fun. To me, it's just much more expressive and something I'm a lot more interested in historically than something like the Grand Theft Auto series. So I I felt like that was really cool. I I enjoyed playing in a Western because I actually do enjoy some Western films. So that was really cool. I did not finish the game and uh, I made it to Mexico, which I assume is about halfway through the game, maybe a little further. I'm not sure. But. I got to Mexico and I found that the missions were very similar to what I was doing in the U.S. I don't know. I just kind of got bored with all the sort of fetch quest and cemetery clearing missions and stuff like that. A little aggravated by the towns being taken back over by zombies. And I don't know how it affects you. And you could speak to this maybe for a second about does it affect the ending of the game? Like whether you've cleared all the towns, you have to keep them all clear. You know how that works. But, um, you know, that was a little bit confusing for me. But Yeah, I mean, the game's a lot of fun. Uh, It's a little more open world than I like and that I'm used to. I really like something a little more compact, like Bully. And, uh, you know, that's still my favorite Rockstar game. But yeah, definitely it's a game worth playing. And I think that I would probably enjoy the original Red Dead Redemption more. Though I do like the comical story and, you know, zombies and things like that. I think that the storyline would probably be a little more straightforward and not as ridiculous as it is in this. But (laughs) the humor is fun in this, and I'm sure that it's in the original game, too. You could probably speak to that. The original game is definitely more serious, but still has trademark rock star humor in it. Yeah, characters. (laughs) To your question about the clearing out the towns or keeping them safe, I don't think it affects the ending. I think it's just kind of a way to pad out the content uh, because you're, uh, you'll be running back and forth through these cities and it's rewarding because you get a lot of supplies every time you save a city. So yeah, it behooves you to do it a lot of the time. Excellent. But uh, yeah, definitely had a good time playing. I'm glad I got to finally sink my teeth into a Red Dead Redemption type game and uh, I would definitely play the original at some point. Cool. All right, I'm glad we took a few minutes to talk about that game so it doesn't just get forgotten. But now we need to get into our real game of the month for this month, which is (laughs) James Bond 007 for the Game Boy. And as always, we will start with our question of the month, which is, if you could create a 007 spy device, it would be a blank That was actually a blank. (laughs) And the question is, fill in the blanks. So let's go over to Twitter first. Bickman2K says, I'd create a literal fly on the wall, bug eye HD cameras, microphone array, and storage and or wireless communication to store and send the information. 
That's kind of fucking creepy, Adam. Let me be honest yeah, with you there, brother. <laughs> spy gear, spy gear, remember. I know, I know. <laughs> Corey had a really good answer, I think. He said it would be a cigarette case that was actually a key casting kit. That way you could steal a key off someone, take a cast or mold of it, and return it to them, and they are none the wiser. I thought this was a pretty cool idea and very old school, you know? Yeah, yeah, that is old school. That's pretty good. That actually sounds like something that could be in a James Bond film. Definitely. And then lastly, we got Josh, Game Boy Guru Metal Fro, answering on Discord. He says it would be a phone that was actually a mini rocket launcher. So I don't know if that's a really big phone or really tiny rockets. It could be the, like those mini rockets like Mandalorian has, you know? Okay, I, I get it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think people aren't used to us recording anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> that was all the responses I got. But to our listeners, we do a question of the month, which we ask on Twitter at RFG Playcast. Instagram at Sean Gray Discord. Our Discord link is at the front page of rfgeneration.com. And we also ask on the RF Generation thread. And going forward, I'm going to ask the questions on TikTok. So at Sean Uh underscore Gray underscore, because TikTok has that function where you can stitch a video to answer a question. And I think that would be really cool to get video responses from people. Yeah. And I'm just checking the thread. Actually, I got one more answer. Dougley007 answered on the thread. He said, if I could create a 007 spy device, it would be a fanny pack that was actually a life raft. I just really want to see Bond wearing it with a three-piece suit. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Love it. Very cool. I did ask my wife this, and she had a pretty good answer, I think. She said uh, a necklace that was actually a grappling hook, so you could use it to escape situations if you were in danger. Rich, I got to tell you, I don't have too much of an answer for this, except... This is difficult for me. Yeah, yeah, I would want to have something. I think having an EMP, because I was thinking, you can make a gun out of anything, right? You, you can even buy today a gun that's about the size of a cell phone that you can put in your pocket. So that's not even like out there technology. But even back in the Cold War... They had this gun that was part of a glove, and when you punched, it pressed a button that actually fired off a round, so you'd be <laughs> punching someone, and it would shoot them as well. Wow. There's all kinds of cool like technology that already exists. You know, Truth is stranger than fiction sometimes, but mm-hmm. I think one of the most devastating things you can do is an EMP that shuts down electronic devices. So what would I disguise that? Uh I'm not sure. Maybe like a baseball cap, something you could, I don't know, like you go to tip the cap and there's a button that you can press for the EMP and it takes all the electronics out. I think that would be pretty effective. Nice. That's far more elaborate than what I picked. <laughs> what was yours? And, and this one's probably already been done, but uh, cufflink lasers. Yeah, I haven't seen too many James Bond movies, but playing the games... I think there were cufflink grenades in one of the games. Yeah, I think it was like mines or something like that. A little bit explosive C4 cufflinks or something like that. But I thought with the laser, you know, you could cut through a wall or something, slice through a few people if you needed to. You could have that going for you, which would be nice. 
I think we're more likely to see like the cybernetic stuff that we've talked about in the past. Like uh-huh. eventually you're going to have agents who have smart contact lenses that you'll have to have some way to detect them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's going to be really hard to defend against. Yeah. I think that EMP is a great idea. I mean, if you did that at my house, if you shut down electronic <laughs> devices, my kids would just murder us and then you could just come in. So that would be easy. That's funny. Nice. So speaking of James Bond, before we get into like the development, I know you talked about your history with James Bond games. I have no history with any James Bond games. I know a lot of people played, um, what was it for the N64? Goldeneye. Goldeneye. Yeah, Yeah, see, I can't even think of the name of it. I hate that system so much. (laughs) But um, how about the movies? Are you like a big fan of the James Bond movies or no? Kind of not really. Every once in a while, I'll try to get into them and I'll watch a few. I've seen all the Daniel Craig ones just mm-hmm. because they're modern. Casino Royale is really good, but yeah, then the ones saw that after one. that, they kind of become like action movies. I did watch From Russia with Love because I had played the game and I just wanted to see the movie. Mm-hmm. And also kind of recently, I think it was last year, I read Casino Royale, which was the first James Bond book that was written. And uh, it was okay. It didn't really like light my world on fire, but it was a kind of a fun read. And I don't know, it didn't make me want to go read more James Bond books, but I didn't regret reading it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ian Fleming, right? Yeah, exactly. So James Bond is something I dabble in. You know what I mean? I don't have this huge adoration for the series. I haven't seen a ton of the movies. I've hardly seen any, as as I just told, (laughs) told you. So... Uh, I like it, but I don't love it. It's not like part of a fandom for me. You know what I mean? Yeah, same boat for me. And I'm going to say something that my daughter would use the term cringy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know I know it's hip with the kids. <laughs> but uh, I don't like James Bond films. Dude, I tried okay. to like start from the beginning and watch them. And it was just like so drawn out and boring to me. I just find them like boring and... I just don't find spy stuff really interesting. I don't know. Okay. It's just me. I'm sorry. But for whatever reason, I wanted to play this game. I thought it was kind of a neat concept, a Zelda-like, right? Yeah. Small RPG element game for the Game Boy, which um, you don't think about when you think about James Bond games. So I I thought that was pretty neat. So uh, I'll go ahead and um, tell you who our participants were for this month. We had myself, Sean, Metal Fro, and our good buddy, Dougley007. So James Bond 007 was developed by Sapphire, uh, which was a company which mainly developed games for the Game Boy and N64. It actually became defunct in 2007. 007 was published by Nintendo and released in February of 1998 on the Game Boy and is an action-adventure Zelda-like, as we mentioned. You play as Agent 007 in a very formulaic adventure where you attempt to uncover the head of the, quote, bad guys and foil his or her plan. And uh, maybe you'll even meet a sexy lady along the way. (laughs) (laughs) So that's about all I have for development. There wasn't much of that out there, but apparently this sort of came out during the end of the life cycle of the Game Boy This is one of those games that people spout off as a hidden gem, and I think a big part of that is because of the time it did come out. 
but I don't know if a lot of gamers in my group have ever played this game or even heard about it. Had you? No, and I, you know, um, I used to be so into hidden gems. I don't think nowadays that it means the same thing that it used to. But <laughs> right. this game has probably come onto and off of my radar over the years. But again, because I'm not like this James Bond fan, and I'm also not a fan of Zelda games. Like, I'm not a Zelda <laughs> fan, so... Two strikes against this one, all so right. As much of an interesting concept as it is, it never was like, oh, I got to have this game. And I'm mm-hmm. wondering, like you were saying, there's not a lot of history behind the development. I wonder if this game was like greenlit or put into development because of the success of GoldenEye, because that was only a year prior to this coming out. So interesting. I'm curious if that had anything to do with it. James Bond, you know, must have been a a pretty popular property back then, not only because of the 64 game, but, you know, because of the films with Pierce Brosnan, that series was going on at the time. So, yeah, I just needed some of that Bond action on the Game Boy. So luckily we got a pretty good game out of it. Yeah. And though I've never been into Bond movies, I do like the idea of the gadgetry and stuff like that. So I thought you've got a Zelda like game where you've got some like kind of nifty and cool gadgetry. So, you know, couldn't be all bad, I guess. Definitely. All right. So how about a little bit about the story? Story in 60 seconds. You begin in an old world Chinese village in search of secret plans and a female martial arts warlord named Zong Mei. Upon retrieving the plans and making your way back to London, M, the head of MI6, greets you with a new mission. Travel to Marrakech to rescue missing agent 008 and track down an old friend who is smuggling weapons for a certain criminal mastermind bent on world domination. Will you seek out this diabolical fiend and save the world from certain devastation while wooing a young lady and downing a few martinis along the way? Or will you fail like other inadequate agents before you? You are Bond. James Bond. Excellent. (laughs) I love it. What a great story for a little Game Boy game. Yeah. Pretty involved. Yeah, I would say so. You don't really get a lot of background story. You kind of fall into the story through the game, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. There's not like an opening cutscene. You just start the game. The story unfolds as you play and it develops by talking to people, which is the kind of part of the RPG elements you were talking about. I think this is a really well-written game for the time. Yeah, I agree. And I'm guessing you played it on original hardware? Uh, A little bit of both, actually, which is kind of funny. I played it on the Super Game Boy. Which, uh, I guess, technically original hardware. So I got to play it on the big screen, which I love doing with my Game Boy games. But because the game has a save feature, I was able to pop it out of that and take my newly modded Game Boy Advance with me to the soccer fields when my son was playing. (laughs) So I would sit in the car and play it and actually finished it at one of his practices. So that was kind of cool, you know, to be able to, you know, play it in front of the TV and then also play it on the go. So it was a really fun experience for me. Yeah, somebody should come up with that concept for a console that (laughs) Nintendo can sell. Oh, that's that's cool, though. I actually played it on the big screen as well. I played it on my Wii using, I think it's called VBA GX. 
pretty good emulator and I had no issues with it. It looks good on the big screen. Like you, I like playing Game Boy games on the big screen. I don't know why the pixels are huge. <laughs> but Yeah, well, I'm getting old. So, uh, you know, I started wearing glasses like two years ago. So uh, having them on the big screen is, is really cool. Plus, like you said, with the pixels and stuff, you get to make out all the finer details and really get to see what the developers put into the game when you put it up on the big screen. Very true. And when we talk about graphics, you know, there's things like the little mice running around on the floor. I don't know if you would even see them if you were playing on a original Game Boy. <laughs> yeah. Know, especially no backlit and you know how those screens start to get blurry over time. Like any game would be hard to play that way, but you would definitely miss some details in this one. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the gameplay, Sean. We said that this was a Zelda-like. It contains things that are very similar to Zelda, including an inventory screen where you go and you can pick weapons and devices to map to your A and B buttons on the Game Boy. Just like you do in a Zelda game where one would be your sword and one would be your special weapon. But uh, I thought this game was kind of neat in that it takes that concept a bit of a step further. You have not only weapons, but you have devices, and you also have defensive weapons that you can add, or you can have two attacking devices if you so choose, right? Yeah, absolutely. I love this element of the game where you can choose your loadout basically minute by minute, and there are certain situations you will find yourself in where you might want to have a vest on because you're going to take some serious damage whether you like it or not. <laughs> Or there's certain times where you're okay just running around with a melee weapon or guns. There's plenty of guns in the game. Or like you said, gadgets. One thing I didn't like, and this is not a big deal. This is like a really nitpicky thing. But I wish you could have used the healing items in the menu. But you actually oh, have yeah. to assign the med kit to your A or B button. Go back into the play screen and then use it. And then go back into your menu and switch off of it. Yeah, a lot of games around that time were like that. And it is annoying. You're right. Yeah. But as far as the Zelda comparisons, it is top down, screen to screen, just like the original Zelda game. The combat is similar, right? Because mm -hmm. <laughs> because you have a machete at a certain point in the game and these enemies just kind of come at you and you can stun lock them. And that part also kind of reminded me of Zelda. Not quite a stabby sword like you have in the original Zelda, but you have a slashy machete that performs a similar function. Yeah, it allows you to attack more from an angle sometimes. Yeah. Like you can't do that in the original Zelda game, you'd have to like be head on, you know, straightforward to be able to attack. But this allows you a little leniency. And um, that's a weapon that you use throughout most of the game. I would say I probably use the machete more than any weapon in the game. Dude, me too. <laughs> Did you read the fan fiction that I wrote on the forum? I don't think so. No. Oh, man. Can I read it? Please it's do. Funny. So this was inspired by the Tibet level where you have to run through the cave system. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You okay. have to throw the grappling hook up. You have to get the parts for it. Yep, yeah, exactly. Okay. So here's my fanfic. Boss, boss, we have a huge problem. What do you mean? Some maniac in a fucking tuxedo is running around and hacking up our men with a machete. <laughs> What the f*** are you talking about? Just shoot him. We do, and he just runs at us, swinging the machete, and it's literally stunning. Okay, well, fight him in the dark then. We tried that, but he has nods. 
Please help, boss. He's hacked dozens of our men to pieces. We're all terrified. Our only advantage is that he is hopelessly lost in the caves. He keeps going in circles and backtracking back to the entrance, only to circle the entire system again. But it almost feels like he's hunting us along the way. Wait, did you just hear that? Hear what? Chop, 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 chop. Oh, no, I can't move. All my training out the window. Oh, well, I hope my killer can use all these medical supplies I've been carrying around. And scene. (laughs) That's awesome. So the James Bond you play as is actually Jason Voorhees. (laughs) Exactly. Dude, the animation is even very similar. I don't know if you noticed that, but if you're... Bond facing towards the bottom of the screen and you're hacking with that machete reminded me of Jason from the NES game hacking down (laughs) at you. And at certain points, I'm like, this is absolutely ridiculous, which inspired what I just read to you, which is that you are supposed to be this super secret spy dude and you're literally running around hacking dudes with guns up to pieces with a machete. (laughs) by the dozens and let's not get into that you punch like 18 sumo wrestlers to death at the top of that (laughs) cave system (laughs) i would say it's ridiculous but if you've ever seen a james bond movie i mean they can't be any more ridiculous than that so you got a point (laughs) (laughs) oh man So, yeah, what I was getting out there is they got to put combat in a game. I understand that. You can't only have walking around and using your gadgets. They have places for that. Like in an earlier cave system, they give you a pen that's actually a laser. And you have Mm -hmm. to use that to open one of the doors. And that's actually one of the parts I got really like lost in. That was the first time you're in Marrakesh and you go through the black market. I actually made it all the way to the rat man without having the thing I had to give to him. And this is kind of one of those adventure game tropes, which is, you know, you can really either paint yourself into a corner, which you can't really paint yourself into a corner in this game, but you can be totally ass backwards on the order of what you have to do things. And you'll waste a lot of time getting lost and trying to figure out what to do. So that was one of the the low points of the game for me was when I found the rat man and I realized I had to do all this other stuff before I got to him. And I was like, damn, like (laughs) to backtrack like crazy and get the tranquilizer gun and all this other stuff. And, um, I wonder, I know you didn't use a guide and we'll get to how I know Mm -hmm. that in a little bit, but I wonder how stumped were you or were you just like kind of cruising through all the inventory adventure gamey stuff? You know, I specifically remember that level and my thing was to follow like and do whatever the NPC said. So from the hotel, you know, I went to casino and did my stuff in casino and realized, okay, I need the dart gun and you know where it's at. And I needed to find this black market, the black market thing that you're kind of referring to just so that our listeners know, it's one of those things. I think it was in Link's awakening as well, where you will get an item and you trade that item for another item. And you keep doing that like back and forth, like six or seven times until you finally get the item that the rat man needs. 
Yeah, that's it, more or less. And one of the things I love, if you let me digress for a second, one of my favorite lines in the game was, I got this cat from a man who has too many cats and he's giving them away. I was like, oh, tell right. me more. <laughs> I love cats. Where's, I need another cat. Where's the man Can with I the get cats? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, actually part of that sequence is you have to find chicken and then you give chicken to the man with the cats and he gives you a cat and you yeah. bring the cat to someone else and blah 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 and it the goes. cat eats the rat yep. the cat eats the rat yeah <laughs> i heard the dario it's basically what you're playing yeah very true so yeah i got what you're saying and uh that was a pretty deep sequence and it was one of the it only was. times yeah. i resorted to reading a guide uh besides the end sequence so I'm glad uh, you were more reading into the context clues than I was, which I was doing my best because, again, for a Game Boy game that when you talk to an NPC, you'll get like one or two sentences of text, Mm -hmm. really well written and informative. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not very obtuse. In some places it is. We were talking about the items. There's one place where there's a guy in jail and you have to actually equip the item and then use it. You know, it, it's not one of those games where if you have it in your inventory, you just walk up to the person and they swap it out for you. So I wish there was a little more of that. And it wasn't that you had to take it out of your inventory and, and equip it to and display it for the story to progress. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of an aggravation. But I probably spent most of my time in the black market area doing the swapping and stuff, but I kind of figured out what was going on after the first few instances. I was like, okay, I need to like go in these little huts and I need to listen to what people are saying. And then I can kind of go back and forth and remember where they were. But the good thing about it is the market wasn't huge though. It's pretty well contained and everything that you have to swap out is within that market. So it's not asking you to go to an entirely other section of that city. So I do like that about it. Yeah. And again, if you talk to enough people, they will tell you exactly where to go. They'll say, there's a man who needs papers in the southwest part of this area, you know. Mm-hmm. But yep. what's great about it is they add a lot of colorful context. And I really got to shout out, you know, you mentioned the developer Sapphire. I think that one of the things that was to this game's advantage is that it was developed in the United States. And what I mean by that is this isn't a game that was subject to a sloppy translation. This isn't a game that was developed in Japan and then brought over and localized, which thank God we have games that come over and get localized. But some of them, especially back in the day, were rush jobs and had kind of crummy translations and some of the information that you would need in game wasn't translated well and make the game confusing. You know, Simon's Quest being one of the prime examples of this, but there are many others. So I think this game being written in English from the get-go makes it helpful for English speakers such as us to get through the game because it was created in our native language. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's a great point. There was also a few like jokes and, you know, you play a game from the early 90s. There could be some stuff that doesn't age well, some off color stuff, but there wasn't any of of that in here. This was all classy or cute kind of jokes, you know? Right, which is sort of the opposite of what you would get with the James Bond film. So it's funny how they tow that line. There's some kind of funny stuff 
I, I can't remember. I felt like there might have been like a few sort of sexual innuendos, but they were very tame. Yeah, there's one part where you go into a room that's almost a it's almost like a harem, and there's just these women in there, and some of them say a few. <laughs> I can't remember exactly, but there was one that said something that was like, "Whoa, whoa, take it easy." <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, I just want to drive the point home that for a Game Boy game that probably has, I don't know, a hundred lines of text in it throughout the whole game, you know, that they're so well written. They made such good use of the limits that they had. You know what I mean? Uh, Agreed. I got a new shirt for school yesterday and my mom said I looked real handsome in it. Speaking of the black market, and we were talking about the sort of trading puzzle, there's a lot of other puzzles in the game. I wouldn't say that they are huge or extremely difficult puzzles, but I'm very curious to hear your take on them, Sean, since I feel like you uh, cringe every time I say the word puzzle elements (laughs) when we discuss games. Well, as you know, the only one that really bothered me was the switch flipping at the end. Yeah, we talked about this in private. Yeah, so you have to disarm. Well, first, you have to get into the base by opening these doors, by flipping all these switches. Then you have to disarm these missiles, and you have to flip more switches. And the one thing I may have missed is when I was doing this sequence, I had the game muted and I was listening to music. So are there mm. any audio cues that you're doing the right thing? Because I might have missed that. You know, I really don't recall. 
to be honest. Okay. I know with some things there are audio cues. Yeah. Um, at the beginning of that level, before you fight the final boss, there are cues on the switches. Oh, okay. That might that now not the exit, not the exit. I don't remember any cues on exiting after the final boss battle. But there are audio cues with the switches, like there'd be like three in a room. And if you hit the right one, there's an audio cue to let you know that the door's open. Okay, that's my problem then, because I... <laughs> that was your problem. That's what you were talking about. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so... Okay, I thought you were talking about the end of the game. That's what I was thinking. No, I might have had a better time with the hitting three switches to open a door if I knew there was an audio. I thought it was just like random and you had to guess. And I was like, this is horrible. So, <laughs> No, there's definitely an audio cue for that. Okay, cool. Well, that explains, because I was like, how could you do this without a guide? And you were like, I did. <laughs> and I was like, ah, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> You're like, you rich. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, the second switch is after you beat Golgov and you got to disarm the missiles is not as difficult. There's a little bit of right. figuring it out, but definitely mm-hmm. not quite as hard. And then finding the missiles to disarm them is kind of challenging because there's environmental hazards but uh i thought that part was pretty cool because there's those turrets that fire lasers and then other ones that fire bullets so you have to use the the mirror for the lasers and the shield for the bullets so this is an instance where smart inventory management and button mapping will get you through the situation i thought that was really cool yeah um that's one of the things I really liked about this game as opposed to like a Zelda game is the idea of blocking, which yeah. you you had to use quite often in this game, whether it be blocking lasers. You could actually block punches of enemies, which actually helped out a lot because you'd block and then counterattack, especially in like the sumo fights, right? Yeah, that's actually, from what I understand, that's the only way to get through the sumo wrestlers is to block them and punch them. Well, actually, they take your weapons away, don't they, at that segment? I think so. Yeah, you can't. You definitely can't use a weapon, and they run up on you so quick. There's no way to use one anyway. Were there any other like major puzzles besides like you know the adventure game type trading or item puzzles? I can't really remember. Well, I know at the beginning of the game in the first level that you have to like search houses and look under beds and stuff. You do have this search feature on your controller, which is just like butt mashing when you run up against something, yep, right? Yep, it's one of those games, like Resident Evil style. Right, and there's one level where there's a, a secret hole in the wall that you have to find. I believe that's on the first level before you fight the um, lady, mm. the gang organizer. And you have to search the lockers in that level too. So yeah, there there is some of that, like making sure that you search everything and find the right item. It's not through the entire game, but yeah, there is some running back and forth. But like I said... The boards aren't so long as that it becomes an issue or it even becomes even the slightest of an aggravation. Uh, I didn't think so anyway. Yeah, definitely. How about your favorite boss fights? I thought there's some cool ones in the game. I like the odd job fight where he throws his hats at you and you have to like use your shield to bounce them back at him. Oh, that was really fun. Yeah, that was pretty good. I think the three standout boss battles I thought were all pretty good. Yeah. The Jaws one was pretty good. <laughs> a little bit of a, a pain in the butt. You got to kind of figure out what to do. But there's these buttons at the bottom of the screen. And when you walk over them, these magnets come out. 
and then they're only out for a, little, a limited amount of time, but you have to lure Jaws toward the magnet and that incapacitates him and you can take your shot. And then Golgov is kind of just the trope of a final boss who g- gets in a robot mm-hmm. and starts shooting at you. So not much of yeah. creativity there, dare I say, just dodge what he's shooting at you and you shoot back at him kind of thing. But still... Yeah visually looked very cool so it has that going for it yeah i thought that the jaws fight was probably the more difficult just because like you said the magnet only stayed out for a while and so i died several times trying to do that fight but what i liked is that especially with that fight if you died it just put you on the outside of the building he was in and you just walked back in to fight him again well that brings me to one of my favorite things about this game You know, when we play games and I can emulate them, I tend to save scum, meaning I'll do save states all the time. And then if I die, I can just revert to the save state. And it's a form of cheating. So (laughs) say what you will. But I thought with this game, even though I did some save scumming, it was actually strategic sometimes to get yourself killed because there's almost no penalty and in a lot of ways it can help you because if you die Mm -hmm. you just go to the beginning of the level with full health there's no penalty you don't lose any items or anything so i use this especially in times where i was really getting lost and wanted to just kind of reset where i was i would just purposely get myself killed reset to the beginning of the level and have full health and not have to use a health pack and no longer be lost. Did you do any of that? No, I I didn't do any of that. But with the checkpoints and stuff, I thought the checkpoints were definitely fair. I didn't do any sort of dying on purpose, but, you know, I never felt really aggravated about how far they sent me back in the game at any time. And like I said, the fight with Jaws, if I got killed by him, I was right at the door. Thank goodness, because that was (laughs) one of the tougher enemies to actually get to. Yeah. That definitely blew a lot of people away with the rocket launcher on that level. (laughs) (laughs) Which is just kind of overkill, which is funny because I'm like, what am I saving this rocket launcher for? Am I going to need it for something huge in the game? You know, I kept waiting for something. I was like, oh, hell, I'm just going to use the rocket launcher because it's a one shot deal and, you know, just keep taking out these enemies and, you know, move forward at a quicker pace. Do you feel like this game is an RPG? You know, we've gotten into this argument in the past. I even said one time that I thought the original Legend of Zelda was an RPG. You know, you are playing a role, you're getting weapons, you're getting upgraded weapons and that sort of thing. But the weapons aren't being upgraded and your characters really not being upgraded. So while I feel like this game has what I would call a lot of RPG elements... I wouldn't call it a traditional RPG in the sense that, you know, we know them here in the West. Yep. I think I'm completely aligned with that. And same thing with Zelda. I think what makes Zelda and James Bond on the Game Boy action adventure games rather than RPGs is that there's no experience system or leveling system. And while you do have HP, you have a life bar. There's no mana. There's no MP or something like that now. It can be done. There's a game called Alpha Protocol, which is, I would call an RPG, and it has a leveling system and experience and hit points and, you know, numbers flying off the enemies or whatever it is. So, yeah, I agree. This is an action-adventure game with RPG elements. 
I agree. There's some great RPGs on the Game Boy. I know that we played Final Fantasy Adventure a while back, which I thought was a great game. I had mentioned in the pickups that I picked one up called Great Greed that um, I would like to get into sometime and maybe play. And I've actually been ordering a lot of Japanese Game Boy games uh, where they did a, a few more RPGs over in Japan. I'm not buying the original versions of the game, but I'm buying translated versions of the games so that, uh, you know, I can play them like that for stuff like that. I don't feel like I have to have the original in my collection, but uh, yeah, maybe that's something we could look at sometime. Awesome. All right. So uh, let's talk about those graphics and environment, Sean. What did you think? <laughs> I thought they were great, man. For a Game Boy game. You know, I've played a lot of Game Boy games where you, you're looking at the screen saying, what the hell is that supposed to be? But in this game, everything is very clear what it's supposed to be a representation of. You know, mm -hmm. from the get-go, you're going in these huts. You can tell, like, that's a bed. That's a bookshelf. That's a person. Like, the character models look good. Like I said, there's these little details, like little animals running around. Uh, there's flies flying around. And just... <laughs> Great detail. There's like when you're in the, um, uh, I forget what the level, it's not Afghanistan, but it's a country like Afghanistan. You go there twice. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I can't remember the name, but there's like yaks and there's goats and stuff. Like I'm always going to notice the animals and the animals were well represented in this game. So graphically, I thought it was good. And you get the world map that you bounce around in between levels so it kind of gives you a good representation of where you are and then uh you got one full screen like splash screen at the end of the game and i, I understand there's a oh, yeah. there's an extended ending if you get a certain item which i didn't get so i'm sure you did oh. so maybe we can elaborate on that when we talk about the ending. no um was it the um was it the fabergé egg no was that the item it's called the marble but it's like spelled out m-a-r-b-l-e and you, you have to get it at some point in the game and if you have it you get a, a slightly better ending interesting i'm gonna play it again now there you go <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason to play it yeah i know the egg i didn't find that either but i did see where that was in a video and it's sort of like a hidden wall that you would have never known about but it's funny you like there's a lot of things that are mentioned in the game and you're just kind of like i i wonder if i can find something that would help with that. Like I, I remember the first level, there's a guy that says he has a flat tire and then you go and you find another guy that says he's waiting on this person. Yeah. And uh, you're like, I wonder if I could get something to fix the tire. I wonder if there's a tire pump on this level or something, but you know, I searched everywhere and never found anything. So it's interesting that there are things that you can find and there's other things that are red herrings, which is interesting because in the black market, there is a guy that says he's looking for a red fish. And uh, you never find that item because it is a literal red herring. That's funny. That's <laughs> yeah. funny. I don't think it's I a little joke that. in the game. Awesome. Cool. Well, what did you think about the graphics overall? I loved it. And like I said before, being able to play on the Super Game Boy and getting to really flesh out those graphics and see what they look like, just wonderful detail. And whatever region of the world you were in, it took on that persona, right? Anywhere you went, you knew like if you were in Asia, you know, you knew if you were in the Middle East, yep. they really did a good job with that. And even with the ending of the game where you're inside of the secret base, 
it feels like you're inside of a secret base and it looks really cool. But uh, yeah, I thought the game was really, really well designed. And even though it does allow you to explore and to go to many rooms on a map, it never felt overwhelming at all. It felt like you could get from one spot to the other very quickly. And there weren't so many rooms that you got daunted or frustrated or anything like that. So I was able to play the game without using any type of guide, though I'd watched some YouTube videos that said that, you know, you might need a guide for certain spots. I feel like this is a game that you can pick up and play without a guide. You might get frustrated a few times, but uh, I think, you know, overall, it's it's a game that anyone could finish. It's not overly difficult or anything like that. So, yeah, I, I think they did a great, great job with the environments. Awesome. What about the music? Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> nothing extraordinary. It's a Game Boy game. You know, what do you say? But they did incorporate the James Bond theme music, which I like, and I think that is necessary. I think that is essential when you do a James Bond game, and they did a great job with it. It wasn't annoying. It was good music, but again, it's a Game Boy game. You can't expect that much from it, you know? Yes. I will say the music was mostly good with one piece of music that I couldn't stand, and that's the really like minimalist music that plays on some of the levels that just goes... You know, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. And I was just like, oh my goodness, this is so like sparse and boring as far as music goes. <laughs> that's that's why sometimes I played it muted and listened to my own music. Um, but something about that actually caught one of my cat's attention. One night I was playing it and his eyes were just locked on the screen and he never does that. Like my animals don't care about like anything on the TV. They're never attracted to it. But one night I was playing this game. I don't know if it was what was on the screen or the music, but he was just <laughs> fixated on the screen. It was so funny. Um, but yeah, you get the James Bond theme as, as soon as you turn on the game. That's on the title screen. Yeah. And then there are one or two like variations of it that play throughout the game. And there's, like I said, there's more exciting pieces of music. And then there's this one just very sparse, like farty Game Boy music playing. <laughs> That is a real turnoff. So the music is like 80% great. And then that one part is just really bad. So a final review, both of us, adequate music, thumbs down for the cat. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Or I don't know, maybe he really liked it. I couldn't tell. That's true. (laughs) He's grooving. Yeah. Or as my daughter would say, vibing. That's what the kids are using. Definitely. So it looks like we're down to our final thoughts on the game. So what do you think, Sean? Would you recommend this title to anyone? Definitely. This is a fun game. And although I had to 
lean on a guide. I sometimes wonder if I do that just because I want to finish the game quicker to record a podcast. So there's that like kind of bias going into it. Having said that, this game is pretty short. Like it took me probably about four or five hours to beat. I looked up speed runs of this game. They go about 45 minutes. And if you look through like a normal playthrough of this game, meaning it's not a speed run, it's just someone doing everything right in the right order without getting lost or screwing around. It's about a two and a half hour long experience. So uh, I would say it's not a huge time investment. And Game Boy emulation is so common. You could play this on your phone if you wanted to. You could play it in a browser if you wanted to. Or, I don't know, Rich, is this a hard cartridge to come by? I didn't even look. No, it's not bad. It's um, 15 to 20 bucks. Oh, cool. So maybe even something you would want to grab and put in your collection. And For sure, yeah. If you're a James Bond collector. Yeah, I'm looking at price charting about 25 bucks. This one is, it's, you know, every everything is spiking. About, uh, about a year ago, it was about a $12 game, so... Double that price after this podcast comes out. Absolutely, dude. The playcast effect is is going to be really setting this one off. I know it. But yeah, I thought this game was pretty rad. I, I do think the combat was a little bit lacking. I think it was kind of comical that you could... Either you're running around stun locking all the enemies and there's no challenge at all, or you're in a room with like five guys and you have to figure out how to not get killed and you know, run up and hack them or cheese it by going in and out of the room. We didn't mention this, but a lot of the enemies drop healing items that are instant healing items. So it's not a med kit that goes into your inventory that you have to use. They drop this little like different looking med kit. looks like a roll of gauze tape that increases your health as soon as you pick it up. So in real time, what I found myself doing was just going in and meleeing like crazy to try and just get health. And I would just kind of survive going through rooms that way, like War of Attrition style. So for a Game Boy game, it's fine. But I was like, yeah, the combat's like kind of cheesy. You know what I mean? But (laughs) I feel like the strengths of the game were that they crammed this cool story into this Game Boy game that's two hours long and it's really well written and has all the James Bond characters in it. It's a very good game as far as being loyal to the source material for a freaking Game Boy game, you know? Like agree. They could have really screwed it up as far as licensed games go. We see this all the time. But they really did such a good job that at times... I almost felt like I was playing like a homebrew, like this game could have been made last year and you would have been like, oh, this is a really cool like James Bond Game Boy homebrew game. You know what I mean? Like that's how good it was. Like it doesn't feel dated at all. They did such a good job with that whole like presentation and story aspect that it's really uncanny how awesome that that is. So, yeah. I recommend this game. I enjoyed it more than I thought I would, even despite, you know, the frustrations I had with getting lost a lot and some of the combat stuff. But overall, this was a really good experience for me, and I'll definitely remember this one. 
Yeah, um, I totally agree. I'm just going to echo your thoughts. I really, really enjoyed this game, and I think it's one that I would definitely recommend to all different skill levels of players because it's not an overly difficult game. The puzzles aren't overly difficult. The combat's not overly difficult. There can be some areas of frustration, but you know it works itself out where you can kind of figure out how to best attack a certain area, and the you know the boss battles aren't bad either. You might die two or three times at most, but then you'll kind of figure it out and you'll be okay. So there's something nice about that and, you know, something good to be said about it. I did think the game was a little on the short side and normally this isn't a complaint for me. And, you know, I was happy to finish it in a relatively quick time to have the rest of my month to do other things, which was uh, very nice. I don't think it really harms my opinion of the game that it was a little bit short, but anyone who decides to pick this up should know that it is on the short side. But for the price of it, uh, I think it's well worth that. Plus, as Sean mentioned before, it seems like there's some other parts to the game. Definitely some hidden items that you can find throughout that give it a little bit of replayability. Sean, you mentioned the, um, about the story. I think it's really awesome that they built a Game Boy game around a newly crafted story. So this is not a story that's in any of the books. It doesn't follow any of the films at all. It's an original story created by the developers who probably were James Bond fans and, you know, thought of a narrative that would be really cool to someone playing this game. So I really enjoyed it. And it's surprising because I don't like James Bond films, but you know, there's something about this game that is really fun and really catchy. Yeah, I would definitely recommend it to anyone who likes Zelda-like games. I would call it a Zelda-lite game because it is not as difficult as most of the Zelda games. And uh, if you just like walking around cutting bitches up with a machete, it's a perfect <laughs> yes. game for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think we both have very favorable reviews of this game, and we've got some upcoming games, and uh, hopefully we'll have some favorable reviews of those. So, Sean, do you want to start us off with what we're playing in March? Yeah, absolutely. So in March, we're going to be playing Spider-Man for the PlayStation 4. And just to clarify, because you asked me this question, we're mm -hmm. not talking about Miles Morales, right? That's right. It's just the one that just says Spider-Man for the PS4, developed by Insomniac, came out a couple of years ago. Miles Morales is something different. We're not doing that. So yeah, this game got rave reviews when it came out, and I've been dying to check it out because I like all those older Spider-Man games. I've been playing them since the PS1, Spider-Man 1 and 2 came out. So I'm interested to see how this one plays because we can talk about this in the episode, but people acted like it was the second coming because, you know, it's super highly rated. So <laughs> I'm interested to see what they did here. Yeah, there was a lot of hype before this game came out. So I'm uh, definitely curious myself to see if it lives up to it. And like Call of Duty, it has a massive install. I was very upset in a, in, really? yeah, in a, in a mild sense of the word to see, uh, I think it was like 48 gigabytes mandatory install. Hmm. Dude, I don't want to digress, but it honestly makes me not want to get a PlayStation 5 because I don't want to go through this. It's just going to be even worse on that. But we can talk about that on another show. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. 
All right, so in April, we're going to be playing a little-known game for the SNES, and that is the action-adventure RPG, The Twisted Tales of Spike McFang. This is a game that I don't think a lot of people have heard of and might be considered a hidden gem by a few. Uh, it has an interesting story where you play as this like little cutesy vampire boy with the spin attack. It's got some really cute dialogue in it as well, kind of fun-loving. So, Sean, I kind of have a, a vibe that you might enjoy this game a little bit as well just because of that aspect to it. But like I said, not a well-known game and one that I've been wanting to do probably for a few years now and finally got around to twisting Sean's arm into playing it. Yeah, it sounds cool, man. I'm looking forward to it. that will do it for another episode thank you as always for listening and a special thanks to our participants tune in next month as we check out the blockbuster hit on the playstation 4 insomniac's spider-man be sure to log on to the forums at rfgeneration.com to join our playthroughs and we'll see you next time on the playcast Basketball. Bow. Blah, blah, bling, blame